let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 124 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. I'm Brendan. And today, Brendan, we're going to talk about lizards riding dinosaurs. Dinosaurs riding dinosaurs. Okay, that too. (laughs) Dinosaurs on dinosaurs stacked onto spaceships. Yeah. So silly. Gotta look terrifying. So yeah. We got one other thing we're gonna talk about a little bit. Yep. Games Workshop had one of their previews yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was a not forty K quote unquote preview. So fine. Old World, Age of Sigmar, 30K, Underworlds, Warcry, all that stuff. But the thing for 30K was also a 40K thing. (laughs) (laughs) They snuck that in. Oh, an epic, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting news. We'll talk about that. So those are on the agenda today, I think. Yeah, that's it. We've got uh, quite the book review. This one is spooky, and it's not undead. (laughs) Which is weird. We're done with those for the moment. (laughs) For real. Let's roll on into Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Dude, you've been doing other stuff. For the most part, yeah. I've started working on my Mirkainen and the Reapers for Mm. Midwest Meltdown. Very sporadic, very intermittent progress. (laughs) Sure. But now it's crunch time, right? You know, 20 days or so mm. for it to get done, which mm. I'm not worried about. It's six models, and they've got some color on them, and I've got the reds done, which is the hardest part. So that's it. Like, I built, like, a corn marauder, whatever the little, like, infantry unarmored guys are. Okay. Yeah. Like Blood Reapers or something? Re- Blood Reavers, yeah. Blood Reavers, okay. Okay. That's it. Considering everything else you got going on, that's understandable. Yeah. Soon I'll be done with all of this. Yes. <laughs> uh, I got done my Gossamids. I got done my Spite Revs. And I don't know if I'm going to use them. I just could not wait to do the conversion on those Gossamids. Dragonfly wings, wings yeah, on them. That, and it turned out really well. So I'll certainly post a picture on, on the Twitters or something soon, just so people can see. But I'm really happy with that. And that was more of a hobby project than anything else, because my list for Meltdown is still very much in flux. I've got some stupid ideas with Lady of Vines and Dryads and maybe, maybe not. So I, I don't really know. I think my next project is going to be working on my war band. I picked the uh, Storm Coven from Stormcast. For those who don't know, I think most of you are aware, but one of the cool things about Meltdown is you get to take a free war band for X number of games. And we're, you know, probably they'll tell you which games yeah, we'll you can use it in. Yeah, we'll find out day of. Yeah, but... That's kind of cool. You know, talking a couple hundred points of extra stuff. Just a neat little extra thing to And it's along. opened up to, you know, as long as you're within the same Grand Alliance, you're, mm-hmm. it's fair game. Which is good, because not all factions, Underworld Warbands are created equal. As oh, no. Listeners of this show will know when we do book reviews, oftentimes we skip over <laughs> the Underworld's Warbands. And every once in a while I go, Dan, pump the brakes. This unit's, like, actually really good, <laughs> yeah. and people are going to play it. Right, exactly. Yeah, because my Sylvaneth, there's nothing really in there. They're okay. Yeah, but... but right, when you think about, like, I'm playing Bone Reapers, Mirkainen Ooh. is... 
really good. Yes. Yeah, you take them, absolutely, if you can. Or like the Sons of Elmore, not a Soul Blight. Like mm-hmm. a, a unit that I think is legitimately worth taking. And you talked about that when you talked about the In book. your army. Yep. And then you just get it for free for some of the games. Like yeah. that, It's not nothing. Yeah, very cool stuff. I'm pretty busy. You've been as busy as you can be, given everything else. So yep. we've gotten some stuff done. Let's talk a little bit about the preview and some of the components of that. We saw... Cities. The first, it sounds like a box for cities. Yeah, just like the Seraphon box. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be, it looks like two units of infantry, a couple of heroes. One of them's the wizard. There's the field marshal. There's this little support banner herald mm-hmm. and five horses. So that's the box. It'll come with the book and all the doodads. Mm-hmm. And then we saw the new named character from Cities who's mm-hmm. on that uh, manticore. Yes, that was pretty cool. Incredible model. Yes, absolutely. Super well done. Mm-hmm. The paint job was immaculate. The feathered wings are incredible. Yes. It's one of those models where even like five years ago, if you had told me that like this is stuff that like we would be seeing, I'd go, you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is AI, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's not sorry, real. The, not no. real. <laughs> that was very nice. And then we saw two, or not just two, but a couple of heresy knights plastic, so plastic, plastic heresy, heresy knights yep which is very cool that look like they're going to be the old the forge world right yeah. and those are very cool looking they just have that different dynamic in terms of their posing and weapons and stuff and obviously they have a little bit different rules but those looked very very cool i used to have a nice serastus so i can very much understand enjoying those then we got a couple of little war bands right we got skaven yep skaven for underworlds yep and then, uh, Clan Pestilence specifically. Yes. Hello, Nurgle. Yeah. And then the Cruel Boys one was fun to me, just looking at it. Yeah, it's, it's a Warcry Warband. Right. And those have historically been very playable in the new book. I'm very interested to see what that unit is supposed to do. The models, you know, everybody, of course, is talking about the monkeys. I just want to see how people paint that up with all the different things. There's that one little guy who's holding something. It looks it's like, like a little a, egg. Yeah, a bowling ball or something, yeah. but that looks really cool. Then we saw a single old world mini. But one Bretonian knight with banner. But... The key thing everybody talks about is the base was square, right? Yep. So that is out there somewhere. The really coolio thing that I've heard a lot of talk about is the epic piece coming back. That is just amazing. When they showed the kits, you know, a couple warhounds, squads, tanks, just everything that was there. It's supposed to be size compatible with Titanicus and yes. Aeronautica, yep. which is... Really, is really amazing cool. when you think, yeah, how the rules will interact, we don't know. But the fact is that Epic is there. And it also allows you the format to, I've always wanted to play this kind of game where, like, you have two basically games side by side. One is a Battlefleet Gothic game. Oh, yeah, sure. And what happens in there impacts the, oh, yeah. what's going on on the epic scale. That's like a weekend thing where you can just do kind of a little mini campaign. Yeah, you know? I've always wanted to play in one of those. That would be neat. I know it's fun for a lot of people because there is a box somewhere in many, many people's homes that has this just collection of epic models, right? That they've kept all these decades Mm -hmm. and they're just like, yes, 
finally, let's see how this is going to work. So very happy about that. And that was a neat, neat surprise yeah. when I was watching through it. Pre-orders, we got Dawnbringers Book 1, because we're going to have, like looks like, four of those, right? And this is another one of those kind of narrative series that incorporate rules. Arcs of Omen... Broken Realms, yep. whatever the one was before that. And uh, we, Malign Portents. Yes. There you go. There you go. Preamless spells. Yes. yes. That was just before second edition. Okay. And then we get four regiments of renown, which are very interesting. And the four separate heroes are also in, in mm-hmm. blisters at the same time as well, I believe. Yep. And the rules are interesting. I look through them. And pretty cool, actually, some of them. So that's out. And then, of course, the GHB, which we'll talk about next episode with Tyler. We're going to have him back with us. A lot to discuss. Not here. We may refer to it a little bit during our discussion of the Seraphon, but not really, because... Yeah, you don't have it in hands, right? There's a context of points. There's a context of whatever is going to come out in the battle scroll in terms of rule changes for all the different armies. Mm -hmm. All of that shapes like what the landscape is going to be like you can look at it in the vacuum of here are the new missions here are the new mm-hmm. realm rules here are the new spells here's all that that's all well and good but like let's say for instance all the wizards went up 40 points right okay well that changes the math a little bit it sure does we'll see how that all works out but we'll certainly be talking about it pretty soon and as much as we know and we should have it in hand next week because the pre-order was yesterday yep and then finally looked really cool is 40k has faction index cards now kind of similar to what we have in sigmar already Mm -hmm. and that was the big pre-order for 40k and they had every single one of them listed looked pretty cool we'll see how those work out my issue with that is always is you know once you get updates to things how useful are those cards i think they still are honestly i know in sigmar they still are yeah having those around, even if you need to make some pen and ink changes, you know, or whatever, having those as a reference. So I think this is a good thing. We've talked about having it for 40K for a very long time. All good. Every faction has them. Awesomeness. And then drops, well... Leviathan drop since our last episode. Impossible to ignore. Yes. <laughs> Including in the lore, there's actually a book now called Leviathan and just all the, you know, as always, I kind of like blip over it because, you know, there's people who said, yeah, this one went much better than the last thing. This one didn't go well at all, you know, and different people have different perspectives. I just know it's a new edition for our 40K friends and, you know, people will make of it what they wish. It's like anything else. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad it's there, and the models look cool. All that's good. So that is on the street, and people are playing it. All that good stuff. That is it for product. Big news in the gaming world, at least I think. <laughs> Starfield has released, it was called Starfield Direct. They had like a 45 or 50-minute preview of what this is going to look like. It's pretty darn cool, man. It's I guess it's coming out early September, it looks like. Of this year? Of this year, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Just the components of it looked so cool. And people are saying it's Fallout in space, it's Skyrim in space. It is what it is. It's, something... so it's going to be its own game in space. Right, exactly. And some of the same components, character building and stuff, but I would encourage people to take a look at the preview. Obviously, it's marketing and selling, but it's also very interesting what they've tried to do in some of the pieces and parts. If it means they can start working on the the next Elder Scrolls game, like then fine. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get this going here. I know I'm going to have to be very, very disciplined or I'm going to spend way too much time doing this. So yeah, that's very, very exciting. Games played other than Sigmar has been Diablo 4 for me, and I've really been enjoying it for a lot of reasons, but one is how much different it is than Diablo 3. First of all, it's much less linear, because in Diablo 3 you had like, you know, this 
super quest, but then you had these parts and pieces like chapters, you know, and so you had to complete this chapter and then you completed that chapter, but very linear in that way. And it was still enjoyable, but this is so sandbox, Brendan. Like there is something going on in the world, but you can choose to do all kinds of like a bazillion side quests. I am level, I think 33 or 34 now, and I have done like two of the main quest quests. That's it. Everything else has been dungeon diving and stuff. Mm. The other thing I like is, for me, I'm not you know a super gamer when it comes to consoles or any of that kind of stuff or PC, but I do like a challenge, right? And there have been a couple of the boss fights in these dungeons that I've had to go back three or four or five or six times before I beat them, and I know what I need, so I kind of go to other places and get tooled up. Yeah, a li- just a little bit, you know, just a couple extra things. Um, but I like the challenge too. And I like the way the spells work and interacting and choices you have in terms of ramping up your character. It's just a very, very neat dynamic. So really, really enjoying Diablo 4. How about you for other stuff? I have been playing in my spare time a bit of Mario Strikers. Those games mm-hmm. are perfect. They're four minutes long. So oh, like perfect. once you get your match made and all that, like you can reasonably expect a match to take five minutes. With, well, it's perfect. Know, cut scenes and everything. So like if you just need a break, you know, I'm going to play a couple of matches cool set it down go back to doing whatever i was doing nice or um i'm working on the hard campaigns for advance wars mm. i finished the hard campaign for advance wars one and so i'm now working on the hard campaign for advance wars two gotta get my completionist stuff. of course I'm, I'm missing one piece of artwork and it's dependent on beating advance wars two on okay. hard mode <laughs> which is going to be something because hard mode on advance wars two is brutal huh oh. brutal yeah, yeah. Some of those missions, man. Cool. Sigmar games? I haven't had any. No. Just no no time. I think a lot of people don't have any time right now for that. So I'm moving on. I'm sure we'll get some stuff in soon. And certainly we have Meltdown in just a couple weeks, as you said. After practice my Bone Reapers at least once. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Events, we just talked about it. Meltdown is three weeks away. We're going to be using the new GHB because they said anything before the 15th was laid down. And as we mentioned before, listeners, we get to take a free warband, which is very cool. And looking forward to that. We have NashCon, Siege World, Dragonfall, Vault Wars, RockCon, all those things still lined up. You know, making decisions, obviously, for those. I know I'm signed up for Dragonfall, and RockCon is not really a sign-up, but those two things are locked in. I think that's it, then, for Whispers, yeah? Easy enough. Okay. Then let us move on and talk about dinosaurs riding dinosaurs. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. We're back, and we're going to talk about Seraphon. We're going to start with opening thoughts. How about yours and what we've seen? Boy, I'm pretty surprised that we didn't get a day one FAQ (laughs) for this book. And maybe we're going to get something with the General's Handbook. But Seraphon was a very powerful army ever since they got their first actual battle tome. Mm -hmm. And they've been really good since. And it looks like they're going to stay that way. There's a lot of power in this book. Dominant casting, really good combat, high level of durability. Mind you, this is not unbeatable. There are some things in here that are very high negative play experience builds. Mm-hmm. Um, so be very cognizant of that, you know, as you're building it. <laughs> 41 slime mortal wound list. <laughs> you know, so things like that, where that can be kind of rough. But 
there's also some really cool and really fun things that you can do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of new units, obviously, as some people are probably pretty aware. Yep. One of the things that I'm particularly fond of in this book is I really like when you have heroes that pair with units, mm-hmm. like they're designed to do that pairing. There's a lot of those. There's a lot mm-hmm. of synergistic builds. There's a lot of things that can, mm-hmm. you know, let you tool up the engine and get it going in a very specific direction. That's really cool. The problem is is that where some armies you can take it to 11 and break the knob off, you can take some of these lists to 12 or 13 and break the knob off. (laughs) And for some matchups, there's not really much you're going to be able to do about that. So what about you, Dan? Well, I want to second your thing about the units and the heroes. I I noticed that as I was looking through here, a lot of keyword crossover. Yeah. And you really don't see that a lot in terms of the volume of it that you see here. And I think that's really, really cool. It's kind of a codependence. The units rely on the heroes, but the heroes need something to do if you're going to pay those points. And so they have to be paired with a certain unit. And I like seeing that. It's not forcing you per se, but it gives... There's an incentive to do it, yes. right? Which I really like when there's exactly like this, where you probably aren't going to take one of the heroes on the Agridons mm-hmm. without taking a unit of Agridons. Mm-hmm. To me, it's always kind of silly when you have just like <laughs> this specialized guy yeah. running around not doing anything. Yeah, not being special. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like he's just so good. Yeah. In Osiric Bone Reapers, like a Liege Cavalos, you know, mm-hmm. should be riding around. With Cavalos Death Riders. Yeah, sure. Why would you have one without them? <laughs> yeah. So there's all sorts of specialized heroes for their specialized units, and there's really great synergies with that, and that's super cool. Yeah. The other thing I like about this is I like how much the rules are tied to the lore. I mean, you still get that in other places. It just feels more connected here. And for me, as somebody who loves story, I like the way that they've incorporated it. I've always thought that, you know, lizard men, as they were in the old world, because I still love old world story-wise, they always had kind of this mystique where they were always kind of hidden and to the side. You didn't really read about them very much, but when you did, all of a sudden, a lot of the things in this book you could see coming out and happening. I really, really like that part of it as well. Very powerful, though, as I'm reading through going, it can do what? <laughs> oh, my gosh, man, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out about that kind of stuff. And let's start out, Brendan, by talking about the battle traits. We really have two books kind of here. We have the Starborn and we have the Coalesced. And I'll take it one step further than that. Okay. I think there's really six books in here. Okay. You have your Starborn, your Coalesced, and then you have Slan-focused and oh. and non-Slan-focused. Yes. So in Starborn, right, you're going to have your Starborn Slan, you're going to have your Starborn non-Slan, which is going to be Skinks, and your Coalesced is going to be Coalesced Slan, and Coalesced non-Slan, which is going to be... Saurus. Yeah, your, your Saurus. And then you have your two sets of sub-factions mm-hmm. behind that, which pair better into specific ways to do mm-hmm. that, but... Yeah, so that's the tree. It's a big decision tree. Some of the choices are a little more obvious than others. But But yeah, (laughs) so the first major decision you're going to have to make is to be either Starborn or Coalesced, and you must make one of those decisions. There's no third option where you're a neither. With Starborn, these are the dinosaurs on dinosaurs that are on spaceships. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that you get is Lords of Space and Time. So these are two heroic actions that a friendly Slan can carry out in your hero phase specifically. Mm Mm-hmm. 
the first one of which is Contemplation of the Ancient. You pick one friendly Starborn Slan, and you can replace one spell from the Lore of Celestial Domination with another spell from that table. So at your convenience, you can go ahead and do that. Again, this is just switching out spells. That seems really useful. Yeah. One of the advantages in the current handbook has been Aslan would have been a Galatian champion. Mm-hmm. So in your turn, you could do two heroic actions. It doesn't look like we're going to be getting that in this new handbook. Mm-hmm. So this has a little less versatility because it's got to only be used in your turn. Mm-hmm. But right, it's one of those things where you can dig into your pocket, find the right spell at exactly the right time, and use it. That's great. The other yeah. one here. Which is which this... This, this is the one you're going to use most often. Yeah, absolutely. Spatial Translocation. Pick one friendly Starborn Slan, then pick one other friendly Starborn unit, wholly within 12 inches of them, remove that other Starborn unit from the battlefield, and set it up again more than 9 inches from all enemy units. That unit cannot move in the following movement phase. Teleport. Really good. Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of... And it relates to what they do, you know, being on the spaceship kind of thing. So then we have cosmic power. And I'm just going to talk about it overall, and you can talk about the ways you spend it. Mm-hmm. But cosmic power is kind of the currency here in terms of the Starborn. Yep, so you have your cosmic nodes. Yes, and the nodes are units. So either a friendly Starborn wizard or friendly astrolith bearer. They're still here. Awesome. They're very <laughs> the, good. They're so cool. Or... A Realm Shaper engine, which is your faction terrain, essentially, those things all count as cosmic nodes. And so during the battle, you can receive cosmic power points to spend on abilities and summoning units to the battlefield. You start out with zero. At the start of your hero phase, you receive one cosmic power point for each wizard astrolith bearer on the battlefield. So if you have three of those, you could have three points that you start out with. And then you receive one cosmic power point for each time a friendly wizard successfully casts a spell that's not unbound or unbinds a spell or successfully dispels an endless spell so you can get five six points relatively easily Mm -hmm. per turn and we talk about how you're going to spend them yeah that's pretty cool so how are we spending these things brendan two choices you can either use it for summoning or on abilities the abilities Mm -hmm. bit is new here in your hero phase you can spend it on any of the following abilities You actually have to have enough points. Mm -hmm. First is Azure Light. Costs five power points to use. You can return D3 slain models to each friendly Starborn unit with a wounds characteristic of one or two. That's wholly within 12 inches of any friendly cosmic nodes. So those are, again, your wizard, your Astralis bearer. Sure. And your uh, terrain piece. Mm -hmm. Protection of the old ones. 10 power points until the start of your next hero phase. Friendly units affected by the revivifying energies, which is a ward save handed out by the Astroth Bearer. Mm-hmm. Give out a ward of a 5 instead of a 6. Pretty good. Yeah. 10 points, though. So a little spendy. Y- yep. But in the right spot at the right time. Useful. Might be exactly what you need. Cleanse the Realms. 15 power points. I really like this as a late game ability. Roll a dice for each enemy unit within 12 inches of any friendly cosmic nodes. On a 2-up, that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. Okay. That's a last minute, get some stuff off objectives, do some extra damage, Mm -hmm. just go. Then summoning points, you have your cosmic power points. You can spend them at the end of your movement phase. You set them up wholly within 12 inches of a friendly cosmic node, more than 9 inches from enemy units. You have 10 skinks, which are at 8 points, all the way up to an engine of the gods, which is at 30. (laughs) Yeah. But most of the things are going to be in the 8 to 16 range. Mm-hmm. You know, Raptodons, Hunters, Chargers. Ripperdactyls. Ripperdactyls. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. In the 18 plus category, you've got Croxagores, Saurus Warriors, Saurus Guard, Agrodon Lancers, and then mm-hmm. your big Griblies. Yep, yep. 
I've not totally worked out how many points you can reasonably expect to like filter through in a Starborn list. Because like Slon are three casts apiece. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got mm-hmm. some good unbinding potential. I don't know what that ramp necessarily looks like, but mm-hmm. you can play pretty comfortably within that. The real, in my mind, strength of the Starborn stuff is that teleport her- heroic action. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, let's talk about the coalesced battle traits. Yeah, dinosaurs and jungles. Yeah, for real. Predatory fighters. This is the first special rule. Add one to bite rolls made for coalesced Saurus and Croxagore units with the mighty Saurus jars. Saurus jaws or vice-like jaws ability, which is all a six-up mortal wound. Yep, it's just after combat. Yeah, you get some extra dice based to- on the number of models. Yeah, uh, just kind of like what the ogres have, yep. the gluttons, yeah. And so it's a five up. You, you have a unit of 20. That could be a lot of mortal wounds if you want to invest that kind of money. But Saurus, yeah. And then we have Scaly Skin. Subtract one. This is one that carried over, and I'm sure everybody who plays monsters are really happy about this because that was a big thing in it's a lizard a list, right? Subtract one from the damage inflicted to a minimum of one for each successful attack that targets a friendly coalesced unit that has the Saurus, Croxagore, or Monster keyword. Coolio. And then we have Beasts of the Dark Jungles. So why don't you talk to us about this? These are monstrous rampages. Yeah, so these are unique monstrous rampages to different keywords. Mm-hmm. So the first one is for things that have the Carnosaur keyword. You can pick one enemy model within three inches of this unit and roll a dice. If the roll is greater than that model's wound characteristic, it is slain. <laughs> Go hero hunting. Yeah, fun, fun. Or you use it to try and break a unit a little bit. Sure. Get a unit champion out of there, meaning you're going to try and isolate them for something. Mm -hmm. The next one is Stegadon keyword only. Pick an enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice. You can only carry out this action if you made a charge move in the same phase. Mm -hmm. On a four up, the strike last effect applies to that unit. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. Might as well roll the dice. The next one here, people are going to see a ton of troglodons. Oh, yeah, sure. There's a reason for that. Yeah. So this is Odious Roar. You roll a dice on a two-up until the end of the following combat phase. The range of this unit's stench of death ability is 12 inches instead of 9. Think to yourself, an extra 3 inches, what is that going to do for me on this ability? Just wait a minute. We're going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yep, yep. This unit's super dumb. Because all these monsters still get regular monstrous You still have access to your regular ones, yes. It's just, you know... This one you don't have to trigger if you're within three inches of anything. Mm-hmm. It's just something that you can try and trigger at every charge phase. Yep. And it's a really good ability. Yeah. Okay. Last one is the bludgeoning sweep. For Bastilladons, pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit that is not a monster and roll a dice. If the roll is less than the number of models in that enemy unit, that enemy unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to that roll. Okay. Not bad. Fair. Yeah. It's kind of like another stomp. You know, your ceiling's higher. Yes. That's uh, a horde buster, right? Yep. So... There you go. If you get into a unit of 10, there's no reason to not do this. Mm-hmm. Fish for six mortal wounds, and I think you're in pretty good shape there. All right. Why don't we talk about heroes? The master of all masters here. Lord Croak. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. The good news is, is Croak is not keyword locked, so you can take him in any faction, and he gets all the rules for it. Mm-hmm. He has the Salon keyword, which is important for all sorts of things. Five-inch move, four-up save, bravery nine, 18 wounds, but only kinda. Forecast four unbind wizard that knows all of the spells in either the Starborn or the Colex army, <laughs> depending on which one he's in. Crazy. It is a Warmaster, so that's solid. He has an Arcane Vassal rule. Yes. Uh, when this unit attempts to cast a spell before making the casting roll, you can pick either one Skink Wizard within 12 inches of this unit or one friendly Oracle, Troglodons, anywhere on the battlefield. 
If you do so and the spell is successfully cast not unbound, you must measure the range and visibility for that spell from that skink wizard or oracle. Yeah. That's really good, especially with the teleport in Starborn where you're going to you're able to toss a unit up board early mm-hmm. to enhance the effectively range that you can reach out like to touch somebody. A form of spell singer is what it is. A little bit. Yeah. But you can kill it. Yeah, that's <laughs> the difference, yep. Combat profile is 3-inch range, 1 attack, except this Azerite Force Barrier, the number of attacks is actually, you roll 1 dice for each enemy model within range, so every model within 3 inches, and 5 dice for each enemy monster within range. On a 5-up, that model's unit suffers 1 mortal wound. (laughs) (laughs) You really don't want him in combat, but that's not bad. No, if he's there, right? Exactly. He is dead for innumerable ages which is a rule very unique to Croak. At the end of each phase, if any wounds are allocated to this model, roll 3d6 and add the number of wounds allocated to this model to the roll. On a 20-plus, this model is slain. On any other roll, heal all wounds allocated to this model. (laughs) If you suffer 18 or more wounds before the end of the phase, Croak goes. Sure. But with with things like Saurus Guard, which we'll talk about, it's pretty tough to get those wounds on him. very tough. Yeah. But if you get three through... He can die. Oh, yeah, it's possible. You'll be up two through, he can die. Ooh. Yeah. But then it resets every phase, right. which is yeah. pretty frustrating. Impeccable foresight. At the start of your hero phase, you roll three dice for this unit. For each four up, you receive a command point. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Supreme Master of Order. He adds two to casting, dispelling, and unbinding <laughs> rolls. In addition, your unbind ranges are unlimited. Oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> God. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Oh, nuts, man. That's pretty good. Ugh. And he's got the golden death mask. At the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within 12 inches and uh-huh. visible. Roll a 2d6. If that roll is equal to or greater than the unit's bravery characteristic, strike last applies to it. Excellent. Yeah. And then celestial deliverance. God, I hate this spell. Casting value of 7, range 12 inches. This unit can attempt to cast this spell multiple times in your hero phase. Each time the spell is successfully cast, pick up to three different enemy units in range and visible the caster. Each of those units suffers D3 mortal wounds. Say to yourself, Mm -hmm. Brennan, how could that be so bad? It's only a 12-inch range. And I go, remember, you're casting it through an oracle who's up board. It's Mm -hmm. 12-inch range. Well, that's only only three inches. And I go, no, it's not, because there's such thing as an astrolith bearer. Yep. So it's 18. Mm -hmm. And Croak can cast that. Four times. Yeah. That's 40, 43 mortal wounds. 12 D3 mortal wounds. Up to three different units. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Wow. That's and crazy. And Croak only needs to roll five to cast it. So you can put Croak in a place where he's out of range of being unbound, and you're only needing to hit fives <sighs> to get that spell out where you need to get it out. That's insane. It's pretty good. For 400 points. Yeah. 395, so 400 points. Yeah, so right in that perfect ally range. Oh, and then also he knows all the lores from, all the spells from the lore that you're trying to cast from mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. you know, there is that. Mm-hmm. We've got his slightly less powerful regular version Slan. Mm-hmm. So the Slan Star Master is 5-inch move, 9 wounds, 4-up save, 9 bravery. He has Azure Lightning, 3-inch range, 6 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1, 1 damage. He is a wizard. He can cast 3, unbind 3. He can fly. Arcane Vassal is pretty much the same rule, right, as it was for Croak. We have Foresight at the start of your hero phase. Roll 2 dice for this unit instead of 3 like we did for 
because his foresight is only foresight. It's not impeccable foresight, yeah, of course. regular foresight. <laughs> so two dice, four up. You get a command point, Coolio. Gift from the heavens. You can use his command ability in your hero phase. The command can only be issued by this unit, and the unit that receives the command must be a friendly Seraphon unit. Until your next hero phase, that unit can fly. In addition, add one to save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target that unit until your next hero phase. It's good. Masters of Order, add one to casting, dispelling, unbinding rolls. In addition, this unit can attempt to unbind enemy spells that are cast anywhere on the... Oh, that's just so stupid. Anywhere on the battlefield, attempt to dispel and the spells anywhere on the battlefield. Okay, whatever. It is what it is. It's in writing, so stop weeping. Just move on, right? So Celestial... Yeah, yeah, Dan. <laughs> Celestial Equilibrium is a spell that has a casting value of six. It's successfully cast until the end of the phase. Add one to casting rolls for friendly wizards other than the caster. Oh, great. That's really cool. Yep. Awesomeness. And then Shield of the Old Ones is a casting value of seven. If successfully cast, the caster has a ward of four up against mortal wounds. Goodness. Okay. Yeah, that's not terrible. It's fine. Yeah, casting value of seven. Coolio, those are the two big guys. Yep. So the Slon form the basis of one particular way to run either Coalesced or Starborn armies. Mm -hmm. They have a bigger emphasis in Starborn, that's for sure. But in that same breath, armies that are led by Slons in both of those factions have very different feels than armies that are led by Mm -hmm. Saurus or Skinks in their respective armies. They only have their old blood on the Carnosaur. Yep. This is your super old general Warmaster leader. So the Saurus old blood is movement 10 down to 7, 4 up save, bravery 8, 15 wounds. 15 wounds. Woof. They have a Sunbolt Gauntlet, which is a ranged weapon, 18-inch range, D6 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 1. They have a Relic Celestite weapon, which is nice. You can arm them with whatever, and it doesn't mean anything. 2-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 2. The standard combat profile for all heroes. Clawed Forelimbs, 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 3s to hit down to 5s, 3s to wound, Ren 1, damage 2. Yeah. And the Massive Jaws, 2-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 5, down to damage 2. If Blood Frenzy, if any models are slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks, for the rest of the battle this unit's Blood Frenzy, you add 1 to wound rolls for attacks made with <laughs> this unit's mount while it's Blood Frenzied. So the Clawed Forelimbs and the Massive Jaws become 2s to wound, which is... Ooh. Pretty good. Yeah. They have Terror, which of is course. the same rule that Zombie Dragons had, so it's almost we're almost developing a keywords again. Yes. Enemy units cannot receive inspiring presence while they're within three inches of excellent. this unit. So excellent. And then you have Ancient Warlord. This unit can issue the same command up to two times in the same phase. Awesome. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly Seraphon unit. No command point is spent the second time this unit issues that command in that phase. Two for one. Yep. Awesomeness. Got a slon, get some extra command points, got an old blood. You can be very efficient and judicious with some of the decisions that you're going to be making with it. The old blood is very interesting. I'm more of a fan of the Scar Veteran when we get to it. Okay. This guy is almost 300 points. He's 285 for him. All right. The Scar Veteran is so dumb, and we're... We'll get there. <laughs> okay. So the Saurus Old Blood mm-hmm. is the next hero. Five inch move, seven wounds, three up save, eight bravery. Has a Celestite weapon, and Celestite is an interesting word because we can do things to it. Yep. yep. And Coalesce, there's a spell that gives you some buffs with yep, it. Yep, which is neat. Two inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus one, 
Two damage. Predatory Exemplar. In the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight for the first time in that phase, you can pick one friendly Saurus Warriors or Saurus Guard unit, both keyworded, wholly within 12 inches of this unit and that has not fought yet in that phase. This unit and that unit can fight one after the other. We've seen that before. Yep. That's very, very good. Wrath of the Seraphon. In the combat phase, if this unit issues all at attack command to Warriors or Guard unit, in addition to the effect of the command ability, add one to wound roll. Wow. For attacks made by melee weapons by that unit. So the command ability and... So you're adding... Adding plus one to hit and plus one to wound. Hit and wound. Mm -hmm. Wow. For one command point. That's excellent. Mighty Saurus Jars... Jars. Jars. <laughs> That's the uh, jars, which is the same as Jaws, but it's okay. Yeah, Mighty Saurus Jars. <laughs> yeah. Each time this unit fights, yeah, have fun doing this. Just deal with it, okay? I think this is our first merch thing that we're going to get. We're going to make like little dinosaur jars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, Saurus Jars. Each time this unit fights, after all of its attacks have been resolved, pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll three dice. These dice are referred to as bite rolls. This is a very common rule among Saurus, and sixes give you a mortal wound. Yep. Coolio. Any Saurus keyworded pretty much has that. And remember for so. Coalesce, that's a five. There's a way to improve that even from there. Yep. Next up is the Saurus Astroleth Bearer. <sighs> Such an awesome model, too. You're going to see a zillion of these mm. if there's a slime nearby. Five-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, six wounds. He's got his war club, two-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, round one, damage two. Celestial Conduit, add one to casting rolls for friendly Seraphon wizards within 12 inches of any friendly <laughs> units with this ability. In addition, add six inches of the range of any spells cast by friendly Seraphon wizards within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. It's just within, not wholly, so... Holy mother. Yep. Like, Croak is adding three at that point, right? Yes. He's adding three and a range is 18. Yes. <laughs> it's nuts, dude. Oh, okay. On top of that, friendly Seraphon units have a ward of a six while they're wholly within 12 inches of any units with this ability. Yeah. And then he has Mighty Saurus Jaws, yeah, yeah. which is the same as the Saurus Old Yeah. One. Three dice. Yeah, bites, sixes. bites. Bites, bites, bites. Yep. And now we have a Scar Veteran. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. He has movement 10 down to 7, 15 wounds again. Wow, that is so cool. 4 up save, 8 bravery. There are 3 profiles here. We have a Celestite weapon. Two inch. These are all 2-inch range, by the way. 5 attacks, 3 by 3 is minus 1, 2 damage. We had the 4 limbs, just like before. 2 attacks... Threes down to five to hit. Threes minus one and two. And then the massive jaws again. Three attacks, four by threes, minus two, five down to two for damage. So we have Blood Frenzy again. Add one to wound rolls if any enemy models are... Slain by wounds. Right. Yep. From this unit, right? Yep. So and then plus we one to wound on the mount. have terror again. Mm -hmm. And then we have at the end of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and this roll... This rule, Dan, <laughs> is... is Nuts. Nuts. Yep. You can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a number of dice equal to the number of wounds allocated to that enemy unit. Not just by right. this unit. Right. It's all wounds that have been allocated to that unit in that combat Could be phase. 10, 12, 20, however many it is. You could have another unit charge in mm -hmm. and do wounds. Yep. To that unit. And for every wound that's allocated on a five up, it's immortal. And this is just a thing. You don't have to spend anything or do anything. This is just auto. Whew. You could have two Scar veterans and do this twice. That's craziness. Yeah. Oh. 255. And when we get to enhancements, 
I've put together an intercontinental ballistic Saurus Scar Veteran on Carnosaur build. <laughs> okay. I don't know that it's the best way to do it, but the other okay. thing that's important to remember is these are, in Coalesced, reducing damage by one. So you can stick them into a lot of different things mm. and feel pretty good about that. Okay. So the next thing up is uh, Warband. They're fine. This is not one of those Warbands that we're really going to talk about. They're fine. We were going to talk about Scar Veteran, though. Scar Veteran on Agrodon. What do you think? So Scar Veteran on Agrodon is pretty good. Eight-inch move, eight wounds, four-up save, bravery eight. You got to pick between the spear and the club. The spear is two-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, ren two, damage two. The club is one inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. I think you're probably taking the spear. Mm-hmm. That extra rend is pretty nifty. And the extra range now is yeah. good too. Well, you're not taking them in a well, unit. Well, that's true. So yep. it's fine. And then the rending bites and striking talons from the mount, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. His primal rage, which is a rule that the Agrodons have as well. This unit has a rage score that starts at zero at the start of the battle. At the end of each combat phase, if this unit is within three inches of any enemy units, increase its rage score by one to a maximum of three. At the end of each combat phase, if this unit is not within three inches of enemy units, reset its rage score down to zero. While this unit has a rage score of one or more, add its rage score to the attacks characteristics of the rending bites and striking talons. So that can mean that you can have up to six bite attacks that are threes by threes, rend two, damage two. Then you have the Alpha Roar, which is one of the synergies that I really like that these specialized heroes have. Yep. Once per battle at the start of your combat phase, you can pick one friendly unit with this ability on the battlefield to unleash a Feral Roar. If you do so, increase the rage score of friendly Agrodon <laughs> units wholly within 18 inches of that unit by one to a maximum of three. Oof. Wow. So... Even if you take multiple Scar Veterans on Agrodon, you can only do this once. Right. But with how expensive Scar Veterans on Agrodons are and Agrodons are, I don't know that you would have more than one of these in a regular game anyways. Okay. But yeah, very interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about the Primal Rage mechanic, the way that it triggers. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, right, you're incentivized to stay in combat, but like... Wouldn't those creatures be angrier out of combat? I don't know. Right. That feels a little odd to me. Okay. Fair. It's what it is. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Skink Heroes, right? Yep. So we have the Stars here first. Is 5-inch move, 6 wounds, 4-up save, 6 bravery. Has an Astromancer's, yeah, whatever that is, Astromancer's staff. 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 4x3s, minus 1, D3 damage. Is a wizard, 2x2. Two two. Can fly. Once per battle, in your hero phase, you can say that this unit will scry the stars. If you do so, roll a number of dice equal to the number of the current battle round. For each two up, you can pick one friendly Seraphon unit on the battlefield. That unit has a five up ward until the start of your next hero phase. Brendan, that is really good. Anywhere. Thank goodness it's once per battle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, No kidding. Then we have Celestial Doom. It's a spell. Seven casting value, a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible to a caster. Until the end of your turn, ward rolls cannot be made for models in that unit. So you can give your own guys a five up and you can turn off enemy wards. This one's a tough one. The casting value of seven in the range is difficult. Hmm. And then the duration is kind of problematic. So it's until the end oh, of your turn. Yeah. The ward rolls are off, so in your opponent's turn, they still have them. So. And not till the next hero phase, which is long. Right. Potentially, right? Yeah, so you need to make sure that you get the damage done in your turn. Sure. Which, okay, that's fine. Then you've got the Skink Star Priest, 8 inch move, 5 up save, bravery 6, 5 wounds, Serpent Staff, 2 inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 3s, run 1 damage, d3. 
uh, one cast, one unbind wizard. The Serpent Staff, in your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Seraphon unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Until your next hero phase, unmodified wound rolls for attacks made by that unit of six cause one mortal wound in addition. Okay. And then the spell, Blazing Starlight, casting value 6, range 18, pick one enemy unit within range, and to your next hero phase, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit. That is really good. That's a really good spell. Yep, and the range is awesome. Yep. Brendan, you like the next hero. I do. I Stink think everybody Oracle likes this next hero. on Troglodon, so why don't you talk about this bad boy? So thankfully, pretty much no one owns one, so it's going to take a minute for someone to <laughs> get the model purchased, built, and painted. But this is an Oracle, so this is the only unit, really, that you can channel a slan casting through anywhere on the battle star seers and star priests don't have them they're just regular skink heroes this is going to be the delivery system for the slan super spells okay plain and simple 10 inch move down to seven four up save bravery six 14 wounds if a shooting attack noxious spittle 18 inches down to nine for range three attacks threes by threes no rend damage two whatever not a big deal Divining Rod, 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 3s by 4s, run 1 damage, D3. Talent Forelimbs, 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 3s, run 1 damage, 2. The Venomous Jaws, 2-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s to hit, 3s to wound down to 5s, run 1 damage, 3. 1 cast, 1 unbind wizard, regeneration. At the start mm. of the hero phase, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit. Oh, it's a troll lizard, okay. Yeah, troll lizard. Stench of death, so this is the rule that's affected yeah. by the monstrous action. So in the monstrous action, it goes from 9-inch range to 12. And what do you get in that range? Ooh. Minus one to hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units within nine inches of any friendly units with this ability. Oh, that's any enemy unit within 12. If you trigger the monster's action. If you're in the right place. Yep. yep. It's not melee weapons, it's to hit rolls. Yep. Period. Wow. Causes terror, so same as your carnosaurs. Yep. Venomous Spittle, unmodified hit rolls for attacks made with the Noxious Spittle or Venomous Jaws, so the ranged attack and then obviously the Jaws, is a six that attack causes a number of mortal wounds equal to the damage characteristic and the attack sequence ends. They have an incredible spell, Primordial Mire, casting value seven and range 12. If successfully cast, pick one objective or terrain feature within range and visible to caster. To your next hero phase, units within three inches of that objective or terrain cannot run or retreat and have the results of any charge rolls. This mm. spell has no effect on skink units and units that can fly wow so what you do is you do this and then you chuck down shackles and mm. you make your opponent very 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 sad <laughs> all right cool they're really good uh then yeah, so next up are the pterodon and ripperdactyl chiefs yeah there you go so we have a pterodon chief he is 16 inch move wow fast little suckers six wounds six up saves six bravery have a sky blade both of these are one inch range three attacks three by threes minus one two damage that's pretty respectable and then four attacks four by fours no rend one damage it can fly obviously has a mount deadly cargo once per battle after this unit finishes a normal move or run you can pick one enemy unit and roll a dice if this unit passed across any models in that enemy unit on a four up the enemy unit suffers d3 mortal wounds in addition if any mortal wounds caused by this ability are allocated have the move characteristic of that enemy unit until your next hero phase so you throw down mire you throw it on shackles you do <laughs> Uh, I can move two inches. I can move one quarter of one inch. 
<laughs> and then we have coordinated attack. Again, once per battle. At the start of your movement phase, you can pick one friendly unit with this ability on the battlefield to call a pterodon attack. If you do so until the end of that phase, each time a friendly pterodon unit wholly within 12 of that unit wholly within uses its deadly cargo ability, the enemy unit suffers D3 mortals on a 2-up instead of a 4-up. And then attack from on high, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target this unit. Yeah, so that's really good. The Pterodons have the Deadly Cargo rule that's exactly the same, but Mm -hmm. they roll a dice for every model in the unit of Pterodons. You can't make them battle lines. They're units of six, so six D3 mortal wounds potentially swinging your way. They're not very good in combat, and that's not really what you take them for, but that's a pretty good means of delivering delivering some damage. And they move so fast. They move really fast, and they're really inexpensive. The Chief itself is 110. And then it's 120 points for three Pterodon Riders. So you can essentially, Brendan, this is like, I remember uh, Nick did with Squigs, and you kind of bounce them off. So you could move them up and then move them back, essentially. Move them up eight, back eight, and then you could count that, right? As... Yep. The difference is the deadly cargo is once per battle. Yeah. That's kind of its own thing. And then the coordinated attack is... Once per battle. Once again. per battle, and you're yeah. going to use it in sequence with the once per battle element of the Pterodon Chief. Sure, makes sense. All right. So next up is the Ripperdactyl Chief. 12-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 6, 6 wounds. He has a Skyblade, which is the same as the Pterodon Chief. They have Tearing Jaws, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, run 1 damage 2. They have a Blot Toad, so you receive 1 Blot Toad marker for each Ripperdactyl Chief, and you also get 1 for each unit of Ripperdactyl Riders. Mm-hmm. After the players receive their starting command point, but before the start of the first turn, you may pick one enemy unit to have a Blot Toad for each Blot Toad marker you have. Place the Blot Toad marker next to the unit. It's just a marker. It's not a real model. And it's anywhere on the board you could do. Any units, yeah. Yep. And that unit unit just has the Toad with it for the rest of the game. (laughs) They have Toad Rage. (laughs) In the combat phase, add one to hit rolls and wound rolls. So your threes and twos on the tearing jaws for units that target enemy units that have a Blot Toad. Wow. Super it's like a marker light, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But a toad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target this unit. In addition, if this unit is targeted by attacks made by an enemy unit that received the Unleash Hell command in that phase, mm. those attacks only score a hit on an unmodified hit roll of a six. Wow. It's nice. Very nice. And then he has Ripper Dactyl Assault. Once per battle at the start of your combat phase, you can pick one friendly unit with this ability on the battlefield to call a Ripperdactyl Assault. If you do so until the end of that phase, add one of the attacks characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly Ripperdactyl units while they are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. I mean, that's really good, right? Because the combat profile is effectively the same for the mounts. Yes. You know, for the Ripperdactyl riders, they are obviously less good than the hero. But and he's dirt cheap, man. 110 points. But yeah, it's the mounts that you're trying to tool up to four attacks apiece, yep. threes and twos, rend one, damage two, because obviously you're going to throw it at a unit that has toads. Mm-hmm. The Ripper Dactyls are 120 points themselves. They can't be battle lines, so a unit of six you can do, but you're going to run them in units of three because of the one-inch range. You're not going to be able to get the base sizes in right? unless your opponent has formed a perfect reverse honeycomb. Yeah. There's no reason to do that. But basically, you would swing as many of these units into that holy within 12-inch bubble of the Ripperdactyl Chief into units that have Blot Toads, Mm -hmm. try and pull those up and crack screens, crack an edge, beat up a bunch of heroes. I mean, 12 attacks at 3s and 2s, Ren 1 damage 2 is not something small to look at. Okay. Stegadon Chief, Dan. Yeah, how about that? How about that? Movement is 8 down to 5, 14 wounds, 4 up save, 8 bravery. 
We have uh, Meteoric Javelins, 8-inch range, 4 attacks, 4 by 5s, minus 1, 1 damage. Then we have the Sky Streak Bow, which is 24 inches, 3 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1, 3 damage. And then we have the Throwers, which are 8-inch range, 1 attack. And what do the Throwers do? Well, So it's a flamethrower. Yeah. yeah. You do not use the attack sequence. Instead, roll number of dice equal to the number of models in the target unit that were within range, within 8 inches. For each 5 up. The unit suffers one mortal wound. Pretty good if you're, you know, in. Mm-hmm. You got to pick between the bow and the sunfire throwers. Yep. I'm thinking you're taking the bow probably yep. nine times out of Seems ten. better, yeah. And then we have uh, some melee weapons. We have meteoric war spears, two inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. The massive horns, I can't imagine that on a Stegodon. <laughs> two inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus one, and the damage is from four down to one. We have grinding jaws. These are both one inch, the next two. Two attacks, three by threes, minus one, two, and then crushing stomps is five down to two attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. So that's a lot of damage there. Yeah. A lot of attacks. A lot too. of potential. Woof. It is a mount, has a crew, and one of the following weapon options, as you pointed out, a bow or a sunfire thrower. A armored crest at the start of the combat phase. You can pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit that has up to five models. If you do so until the end of that phase, add one to save rolls for attacks made by that unit that targets this unit, right? Coordinated strike once per turn. This unit can issue a command to a friendly skink unit without a command point being spent. Nice. A steadfast majesty, add three to the bravery characteristic of friendly skink units that do not have the Stegodon keyword while they are wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. We have the throwers. We talked about that. Unstoppable stampede after this unit finishes a charge move. Impact hits on a two up. So D3 mortals. Not bad. Yeah. Very nice. 330 feels a little steep. Yep. There's some interesting synergies with the skinks and not spending command points. Because mm. one of the sub-factions, you get to issue a bunch of command points for free, and then this would also allow you to continue adding on free. Well, and adding points. three to bravery is pretty good. Yeah, for the skinks. skinks are... Yeah, they're pretty... They're pretty bad. Tissue paper, yeah. I think that's it for... That is the heroes. Oof. Yes. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon. And all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Okay, so let's go back now and circle around to enhancements and sub-factions for our two main ways to play this army. Yeah, so we're going to start with Starborn. Yep, you have two tables for both Coalesced and Starborn, one for Slan and then one for your other. Mm-hmm. So for Starborn, it's Slan and Skinks. Yep. So Dan, for Slan, we have four command traits. Are any mm-hmm. of these really jumping out at you? Well, I liked a couple of them. Arcane Might seems pretty good, given what she can do here with a Slan. This general can control up to three predatory endless spells per hero phase. In addition, when this general casts a spell that summons an endless spell, the range of the spell is doubled. I mean, that would tend to make me think, hey, I'm going to lean, if you're going to lean into endless spells. But that really is a cool enabler, obviously. Mm. (laughs) Like, wow. You know, and doubling the range for a lot of them, that's huge. Yeah, that's really big. So that one I liked. Um, What about you? Anything? I like the Lord of Celestial Resonance. Time this general successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, unbinds a spell, or successfully dispels an endless spell. You get two cosmic power points instead of one. Oh, yeah. Pretty all right. Pretty good. How about the skink ones? What do you think? A little bit tougher. 
Probably, yeah. maybe, shrewd strategist. Mm. Once per battle at the start of your opponent's combat phase, you can pick one friendly seraph on unit wholly within 18 inches general. If that unit is within 12 inches of any enemy units, but more than 3 inches from all enemy units, it can immediately attempt a charge. I'm a sucker for out-of-phase stuff. <laughs> sure. The problem is, is it's once per battle. I would really love this to be just an every opponent's charge phase. If this was an artifact that did it as once per battle, I'd be a little more forgiving of it. Sure. But as a command trait, that's... You're committing that to your general. Yeah. yeah. I like Master of Star Rituals just because of the, the tactical flexibility. flexibility. Yeah. It's a wizard only. This general knows all the spells from the lore of celestial manipulation in addition to any of the spells they know. You pick the one you like fit it to the situation that you need it mm -hmm. that's always great because normally you know you pick one and that's it for that hero or whatever it is so yeah i like that one a lot so let's move on again as you said for artifacts we're going to have slon and skink artifacts what was your pick for the slon one so i have one that i love if you are playing dracothian's tale okay and that is the space folder state yes <laughs> once per turn at the end of your movement phase if the bear is on the battlefield you can say that they will guide the arrival of their celestial reinforcements if you do so the next friendly starborn unit to be set up on the battlefield <laughs> can be set up more than seven inches from all enemy units instead of more than nine this is like annihilators get that seven yep. inches yep when you've got the lord imperitant you know, yep brings them down that way yeah so we'll talk about that sub faction in a little bit but it's a sub faction that means that you are going to be doing this yeah that one's really nice i kind of like the relocation orb just because it's a slon and you know once per battle at the end of the phase. This is only once per battle, though, mm -hmm. and I don't like those usually. If the bearer has any wounds allocated to them in that phase, you can move the bearer, set them up anywhere wholly within 12 inches of a friendly cosmic node in more than 9 inches. So it's just kind of, you know, get out of jail free and get away. You know, run away, run away mm -hmm. kind of a thing. But yeah, the space folders stay for sure. How about on vestments? Oh, there's two I really like mm -hmm. here, um, both of which would probably go on a skink oracle on yeah. Troglodon. Yep. I'll take the Sacred Stegodon Helm. You oh, add okay. one to save rolls for attacks that target the bearer. In addition, add one to the damage characteristic of melee weapons used by the bearers if they made a charge move in the same turn. Okay. Like, the damage part of this isn't necessarily any bit interesting, right? You go to D3 plus one on your staff. It's getting the free, basically, all-out defense. Yeah, I'm not real high on any of these. I did pick the Cloak of Feathers just thinking of a skink hero. And I was thinking more of the little guys. Well, it has to know, be one of the little right, guys. Right, it has to. But I'm thinking of, you know, like a one that's not on a troglodon kind of a thing. So unit does not have the monster keyword, so that kind of limits it. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target the bear. And, it, and that's any kind of hits, missile yep. or. In addition, add four to the bear's move characteristic and the bear can fly. That's cool. That would be fun to put on a little skink, but again, you're going to have to use that artifact for a little skink. And right. it doesn't seem worthwhile overall. All good. Now we get the spell lures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was kind of torn between two of them, the Drain Magic or Mystical Unforging. Okay. I kind of think that the Mystical Unforging is a little better, but it kind of went back. So Mystical Unforging is a spell that has a casting value of 8, which for a Slon, not really a big problem. And a range of 12. is successfully cast pick one enemy unit within range of visible of the caster until the start of your next hero phase. The rank characteristic of that unit's weapons is treated as nothing. Holy mutt, man. You got a unit of Kurnos. It's like... Hello. <laughs> Hello, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> what was your rend, right? Yeah. And that's pretty powerful, especially since you have a lot of armies that are going to try to enhance the rend. So, you know, you use something to get that. You're going to put it on a unit to get them up to rend two or rend three. It's like, no, no, really. That one I liked. And then the drain magic was the other one. 
So, small problem with drain magic. As worded. As worded. One of the things that is part of it does not work. Okay. Casting value of six, if successfully cast at the end of that phase, add one to dispelling rolls made by friendly units and subtract one from unbinding rolls made by enemy units. The unbinding rolls, not a problem, right? That makes sense. Mm. That's part of what's going on mm-hmm. here. You literally cannot affect a dispelling, dispelling roll. Because that time is already gone. Because this is until the end of the phase. Interesting. So, so you wonder if they're going to change that. I think you have to. Yeah, since the, it's not valid. Yeah. Right. Do you have any others that you like? Yeah, I really like the offensive spells here. So Comet's Call, casting value of a 7. Again, on a slan, not a big deal. Pick up to D3 enemy units on the battlefield. Mm, if mm-hmm. the casting roll was a 10+, plus, not unmodified, <laughs> yeah. 10+. plus. Pick up to D6 different enemy units <laughs> instead of up to D3. D6. Each of those units suffers D3 mortal wounds. Roll separately for each unit. It's raining. It's raining fire. It's raining comets. And then Stellar Tempest, casting value yeah. of 8, range yeah. 24. Enemy units within range invisible. Roll a dice equal to the number of models in that unit each five up that unit suffers a mortal wound sure 24 inch range hmm. yeah that's really good yeah and the eight again isn't a problem for yep. these guys all right now we get down to lore of the skinks yep what are you thinking i like speed of wanchi mm-hmm. the setting it up i think is kind of difficult yeah but it's a spell that has a casting value of 6 and range 18. You can pick either a Croxagor or Skink keyword unit that is not a keyword monster. Holy within range of visible the caster. That unit can make a normal move. You can use it to like screen some things out and, and get places where you want to go. The thing that I think like you really want to try and do with it is to get a unit teleported down somewhere and then make the free move to go even further and like within that nine inch range. Well, now you could use this on pterodons or ribberdactyls, couldn't you? Because they're skink units. Yeah. And you could like shoot that movement up through the roof. Well, well, you're going to give them that move, right? You give them that move. Right. So that means that you could trigger their drop stuff out of sequence, but you're not getting the two ups for it. But I'm just thinking of the overall range that unit would have in that turn then. In that turn, it's, yes. Yes, yeah, but monstrous. yeah, it's not all at once. I like Cosmic Crush. It's a spell that has a casting value of 7, a range of 12. If it's cast, pick one enemy unit within range invisible. Roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each roll that equals or exceeds the unit's save characteristic, that unit suffers one mortal wound. It's kind of like any of the ones we've had, you know, it's a 5 up is mortals, you know, if you're doing a raining down of something. It's kind of like that, but I think it's a little bit better because most units in the game have at least a five up save. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, obviously the less units you have typically, the less models, it's going to get better. You know, it's going to go to three up, four up, whatever it is, but you're still getting that five up almost universally. I think that one's pretty decent. All right. So let's talk about the two sub factions, which are called constellations. Uh, Which one would you like to talk about? I'll take the things of Sotai because it's a little less straightforward. So Dracothian's Tail is the first one. And during deployment, instead of setting up a Dracothian's Tail unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side, say it's set up on the temple ship as a reserve unit. You can set up one unit in the temple ship for each Dracothian's Tail unit you set up on the battlefield. At the end of the movement phase, your movement phase, you can set up one or more of the reserve units in the temple ship on the battlefield, holding within 12 of a cosmic node, more than nine from all enemy units cool i mean that's we've seen that multiple times multiple armies but still really great in terms of flexibility for deployment and making your opponent just wonder when is that unit of whatever coming down on top of my head right yep very very nice 
All right, what about Fangs? Fangs of Sotek, the commanding player of Fangs of Sotek army, can use the redeploy command ability up to three mm-hmm. times in each of their opponent's movement phases. In addition, the first two times the redeploy command is issued to any friendly Fangs of Sotek skink units in that phase, no command points are spent. You'd spend the command point for the third one. You can also use the skink chief on Stegadon to make the third one free as well. What's important to remember here, and we haven't talked about the skinks yet, but the skinks roll two dice when they're doing the redeploy and they pick which one they want mm. they want to use. Nice. The skink are a little bit more agile and it's just skink keyworded you can use that for things that aren't just your regular units of skinks as well okay now those don't have the two dice but your regular little tiny skinks do i don't know that it's the best way to build the army is to go skink heavy right now but okay it is an option now we have coalesced enhancements we do have coalesced enhancements what's your pick for and we have slon and saurus in each one of these are split out so what do you think i kind of like the idea of if you're going to take a Slan one, you take the Custodian of Divine Technology. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my picks. You yeah. get two artifacts of power from the treasures of the Temple Cities and note them on your roster. Both of these artifacts are in addition to any That's other artifacts nuts. that you can give. That means a minimum of three, and if you take the right battalion, you could have four artifacts in your army. Yeah, and two of them are on this one Slan. Yeah. Ooh, that's crazed. Mm-hmm. Two really free artifacts. Like, wow. I pick master of the material plane general okay. notes two extra spells from the lore of the ancient domains this okay, is a good cool. one yep i like that one of the ones that's on here that i like wrath of the aeons mm. is once per battle at the start of your combat phase you can add one of the attacks characteristics of melee weapons by friendly mm. keyword saurus and croxigore units while they're wholly within 12 inches of the salon yeah that's a little tough to set up because it looks like you know we're losing tunnel master right because yeah. what you would do is you would tunnel master the salon up pop this mm. you don't have teleport and coalesce so it's a little bit harder to get the salon exactly where you want them to be mm-hmm. but if you can set it up right that's a very powerful command trait okay and then we have saurus mm-hmm. uh, command abilities or command traits yeah so this is so, where i talk about my intercontinental ballistic okay uh, scar veteran and carnosaur all right why don't you talk then? you make them your general and you give them the prime war beast ability mm. unit with mount only add one of the attacks characters this uh by this general's mount so remember what a saurus scar veteran is so that brings you up to three claw limbed attacks at threes and threes rend one damage two and four jaw attacks at fours and threes rend two damage five Mm. All right, so just keep that in your head. That's yeah. you know, you know, put that okay. file that away. I'm visualizing. I right. remember that. It was later. All right. So what command trait are you gonna take? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so this is you know we're building two the rocket powered dinosaur on dinosaur. Okay. I picked the vengeful defender if I'm gonna take Saurus. I don't know about Croxicus, but Saurus. At the start of your hero phase, if this general is wholly within your territory, you can pick this general and up to two friendly Saurus or Croxicor units wholly within 12 inches of this general and make a normal move just to be able to redeploy I think is important if you're going to have Unisosaurus or Croxagor. So mm-hmm. anyway, so Prime War Beast. And I got it in my head. I got keep it. it. Keep it back there. Okay. So let's move over to Artifacts. I will carry through with the command traits that I took for both of my sections here. What I picked was the ability to take two artifacts. So one of the artifacts I'm going to take is the Crystalline Skull. Mm-hmm. Bearer starts with a power reserve of zero. Each time the bearer successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, increase the reserve by one. Once per battle in your hero phase, you can say that you will shatter the crystalline skull. If you do so, pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer. Roll a number of dice equal to the power reserve. For each three up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Mm-hmm. Remember, slons are three casters, yep. which is pretty good. The 
other thing that I am going to take is the Ixies Grub. Oh, that's my pick. I At love At the start these of each hero phase, you can heal one wound allocated to the bear. That's fine. They shouldn't be in range of being right. hurt anyway. That's not where you take this. In addition, in your hero phase, you can reroll one casting <laughs> roll or dispelling roll for the bear. And in the enemy hero phase, you can reroll one unbinding roll for the bear. Um, it's nuts since you're already a plus two, plus one, whatever it is. Yeah, plus one base, and then you have Plus the, two, plus three. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's crazed. Yep, so that's going to give you the opportunity to power up the Crystalline Skull even better, mm-hmm. right? So the most that you can get is power level 15 on the Skull. Oh, that's fine. Just drop 50 mortals. Yeah, which will just zap something. It'll be 10, right? With on the a three up, up yep. But... It's this mortal wound, you know, ball that you're going to throw at somebody at some point. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can take them both, to your point. Yep. If you take two. All right. How about the Saurus? What did you pick? So, <laughs> we've got our plus one attack on our mounts. Yes. We're going to take the Blood Range Pendant next, which is okay. add one of the attack characters of the bearer's <laughs> melee weapons. <laughs> if the number of wounds allocated to the bearer is equal to or greater than half of the bearer's weapons characteristic rounding up, add two instead. You have... Saurus guy. You have a Saurus guy. The guy on top is now six attacks, could be seven. Threes by threes, rend one, damage two. Three attacks of the clawed forelimbs that are threes and twos, rend one, damage two. And four attacks of the jaws that are threes and twos, rend two, damage five. That's just silly. You're going to do all of that. Mm. And then if you have taken half the wounds, right, it's seven attacks with the weapon on top. And then we'll get into the spells and that okay. a little bit. But then you do all that damage, right? And then you do your mortal wounds at the end as well. Yeah, with your bites. Yeah, so you took Sotex Gaze. I did. Enemy models with the wounds characteristic of one or two cannot contest objectives while they're within six inches of the bearer. I love that, man. So you put your 40 zombies on it. Go ahead, man. They can't contest nothing. <laughs> so leave them there all you want. It's like, yeah. Perfect. Very cool. I think that's a great one. All right. Now we're getting into spell lures. Yep. Let's talk about the dumbest spell in the game. Go ahead. Telepathic Summons. Yes, hello. Is a spell with a casting value of a 6 for some reason. Range of 9. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Saurus unit that is not a monster invisible to the caster. So you have to pick a unit that's within 9. Yeah. Just within 9. Yeah. Not wholly within. Yeah. Go ahead, keep going, Brendan. Yeah. I know you don't want to, but go ahead, keep going. Yeah. Remove <laughs> the unit from the battlefield and set it up again on the battlefield, wholly within range of the caster. So you set it up wholly within range of nine, mm-hmm. which is fine, but there's no exclusion on how far away you can set that unit up away from enemy units. So for right now with Tunnel Master, this is a huge problem mm-hmm. because you would just teleport nine inches away. Mm-hmm. You would pull a block of 30 Saurus Warriors, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in just a second. Yeah. And you would drop them into combat with your opponent's basic entire frontage. Mm-hmm. Or, Brendan, even if you don't have that, mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is like free move of 18 inches when you think about it. Because you're nine on one side. You can move to nine on the other side. You could move a unit that's nine inches behind this particular spellcaster and move it up nine inches and to your point it doesn't matter if it's one or two inches away from an enemy unit it's just sitting there yep 18 inches is a long way to go now granted you have to get your spellcaster where it's you know in that position but you get to take this unit and just slam it down into combat yeah that's crazy it's there Yep. No yes. rolling dice. I don't need to roll dice. What do you mean charge roll? I, I don't need to charge roll. Nope. I'm already within half an inch. Yeah, that's just so silly. Right. You've got a spell that lets your monsters fight at the top rank. Mm-hmm. Drain magic is that's the same. That's always beautiful. 
you have empowered Celestite, which a casting value of a seven. And like, this should be the spell that we're all like, yeah, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Because you pick a friendly source unit, Holy Within Range, Invisible, you Ooh. improve their Ren characteristic of their Celestite weapons by So it one. goes up to Ren 2. Yeah, pretty much across the board. Oof. There's, there's yep. some other stuff that, yeah. Yeah, and Dream Magic's very good. Yeah. It is. Half of the spell worked. Right. They'll fix it. But there's nothing that beats the ability to take 30 Saurus Warriors, which we'll talk about that War Scroll very shortly, and just set it down in the middle of your opponent's army, and you go, and now what are you going to do? Because mm-hmm. you're going to park a Troglodon next to it, and your opponent's not going to be able to do anything. Skink Wizards. Yeah, Skink Wizards. Which ones do you like, Dan? Heavenly Frenzy, I think it's cool. Spell has a casting value of 7, a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Seraphon unit, any unit. Holding within range invisible of a caster until the end of the next turn, that unit can run and charge until the end of that later in the turn. Love that. I like all of them, honestly. Mm-hmm. Tide of Serpents is casting value 7, range 15. Roll a number of dice uh, equal to the number of models in the unit. Five up, it's a mortal wound. Yeah, perfect. The other one's a healing spell, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically get a, you're going to roll a dice for every wound that's been allocated to it. A five up. Um, you five heal. up, you heal a wound. Yeah. So there's an interesting bit of wording in here. Roll a number of dice equal to the number of wounds allocated to it. It doesn't say currently, so you could, and I don't think this is the way that it will be interpreted, but as written, you could interpret it as all wounds that have been allocated mm-hmm. to it. So if it's a unit that has 15 wounds, let's say, and it's only got five left, that's 10 that have been allocated to it. But you heal five, you've still been allocated 10 wounds to that unit at some point. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you take another five, so you've been allocated 15. So you right, heal right, for... if you're going to keep track of it, right. Right. I don't think that that's how they mean for it so to work. So the way to fix that is, say, currently allocated. Yes. Okay, fair. All right, and then we got our little sub-factions. I love both of these. These are really good. <laughs> okay. I'll go Kotal's Claw. Sure. Add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Kotal's Claw Saurus and Kotal's Claw Croxagore units. Made a charge move in the same turn and it's keyword saurus so you know the agridons count for that as well yeah that's pretty good it also means that you don't really have to take the scar veteran on foot because getting the all-out attack and plus one to wound is really good if you're going to be stuck in a combat where you're not going to be doing any charging like Mm. dropping a 30 brick of saurus warriors into your opponent's army doing something like that yeah Okay. And Thunder Lizards, Dan. Yeah, at the end of the charge phase, you can carry out two monstrous rampages with each friendly Thunder Lizards monster instead of one. Cool. Yeah, useful. If you're going to go monster lizards, yeah. There's literally no downside to that. So, Dan, the first unit up is uh, Croxagores. Let's get what I think is the worst war scroll out of the way. Okay, and you have two versions of this thing. You have two versions of it. Yeah, war spawned Croxagores and just plain old Croxagores. Yeah, I don't think either are very good. Okay, so I'll just pick war spawned and you can talk about the other one that's no good. A five inch move, four wounds, four up save, seven bravery, has two. Weapons profiles, both two inches, both three attacks. The war pick is four by threes minus two, two. And then the star fang war pick is uh, three by threes minus two, three damage. And you can have one out of every three models can have the star fang versus the other war pick. So a little better, better to hit more damage. Unit champions of skink units can issue commands to this unit if this unit is wholly within 12 of that skink unit because they're stupid and they need help. Hmm. All right. Heavily scaled. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with missile weapons. Cool. Spawn of Sotek. Add one of the attack characteristics of this unit's melee weapons if any models in friendly skink units wholly within 12 inches of this unit have been slain. So they get mad when their little buddies get hurt. Okay. Cool. But the unit of skinks has to be alive. Right. 
Why? Yeah. What? <laughs> okay, let's finish this up, and you yeah. can commiserate with us about... So Vice-like Jaws, we've talked about this before. This is their version of the six-up per model. Gives a mortal wound, so you get to roll a dice. Uh, roll, roll three, three dice. dice. Yeah, yep. three dice for each model. So unit of three would roll nine dice, six ups are mortals. Okay, cool. Yep, so 185 for that unit, so keep that in mind. Next mm. up is the regular Croxagore, who has the exact same wheel profile. Mm-hmm. They have the Drake Bite Maul and Moonstone Hammer, both two-inch range, both four attacks. The Drake Bite Maul is fours by threes, run one damage two, and the Hammer is threes and threes, run one damage three. One in every three can have the Hammer. Skink Guidance, the same. Vice Like Jaws is the same. They have Sweeping Blows. The unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a Drake Bite Maul or Moonstone Hammer is 6. And the target unit has 10 or more models. That attack scores 2 hits on the target instead of 1. Make a wound roll and save roll for each hit. There's 175 points. Yeah. What purpose does this unit serve? And it'll become a little bit more clear as we go through the book. Sure. That you're paying 175, 185 yeah. points for 12 wounds for an okay combat attack that really doesn't have a lot of synergy with some of the same buffs. Like, okay, you can get plus one off the charge, fine. But we're going to get over to Source Warriors, who are 200 points for 10 models, which is 20 wounds. Right. Seems pretty good. And when we talk about that War Scroll, you're going to go, wow, that unit can do a lot of damage. And it's much easier to buff that unit. Much easier to buff that unit. That unit is much more durable. Yep. I don't understand the purpose that this unit serves, because in order to get the most out of a Croxagore units, you need to have them being babysat. Right. They don't have unit champions. So cool skink unit champions can issue commands to them. That's fine. Other heroes can as well. The warp spawn make no sense to me. Mm-hmm. You have f- you're trading attacks for rend, which means you're on average going to be doing less damage. Oh, but you get four attacks if that skink unit's nearby has taken damage and somehow survived. Because when we get to that skink war scroll, the feedback is going to be... <laughs> Tissue paper. Tissue paper, yes. <laughs> this hurts so much because these are such good models. Yes. They did a refresh on this, and they're so excellent. They are. But my goodness, like, if they can't at least get these rules right, like, let's get them in a place where the points are attractive enough where you're going to take them. Fair. All right. I want you to talk about the Agridon Lancers because you really like the Agridons. I do. I do really like the Agridons. So they are the new cav unit that replaced the Saurus Knights. Yeah, sure. RIP Saurus Knights. Eight inch move, four up save, five wounds, eight bravery. You got to pick between the spear and the club. The spear is two inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend two, damage one. Club is one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. The rending bites and talons, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. Champion adds one to their celestite weapon. The standard bearer gives you plus one bravery, and the musician adds one to run and charge rolls. That's pretty good. And then Primal Rage is the same as what we talked about with the Scar Veteran. You get your Rage score and you add that to the Rending Bites and Striking Talons. Mm -hmm. They're a little spendy for at least where they're starting out at. They're 210 for 3, but their battle line, if your general is Keywarded Saurus, that's quite good. In little hunting packs of 3, I think they're especially good. Okay. They're a little bit tougher to justify in bigger units just with the way that coherency works. Sure. You know, like you can still do like the the flying V formation. Of course. That you get. I quite like the Celestite spear, you know, to be 4s and 3s. In Kotal's mm-hmm. Claw, your 4s and 2s all at attack, your 3s and 2s. That's really pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer that you don't have damage bonuses for them off the charge, but being 2s and 2s on the Bites and Talons is really where you make your money. And your Scar Veteran is your buff piece here in terms of pairings. 
Yeah, where you can, once per battle, increase the rage score by one. Sure. Uh, basically, you can... I really like the idea of taking a Scar Veteran and two units of three. I think taking a big unit of nine is fun, but ultimately not very effective. Okay. Like, it's very easy to get that unit within three inches of something at the end of every combat phase, mm -hmm. but the chance to get all of your units in and fighting is very, very low. Okay. So that I don't know that that trade-off is quite there. Perfect. I'll talk about Saurus Guard first. Oh, Saurus Guard are so first. useful. Yeah. Yes. And then we'll let you talk about Warriors, because you are so the high warrior, The Warriors are great. Yeah, they they're are one good. of the best War Scrolls in the book, I would argue. Backbone I of any so. coalesced army. Yeah. The Saurus Guard, 5-inch move, 2 wounds, 3-up save, 8 bravery, 3-up save, man. Awesome. Range, 2 inches. They have a Celestit polearm, so again, that keyword, Celestit, is not a keyword, but it's a designator. So range 2, 2 attacks, 3x3s, minus 1, 1 damage. They have a champion, add 1 to attacks, 1 in every 5 can be an icon bearer, add 1 to bravery, so they'll be bravery 9, which is really good. 1 in every 5 models can be a war drummer, add 1 to run and charge rolls. So here's... For me, this big thing. They have Saurus jars. Of, jars. Jars. Why do I keep... Okay, that is going to be a t-shirt. Saurus jars. They have Saurus jaws, <laughs> which is the same. So for each molly, roll one dice, and a six up is mortals. But here's the big one. Selfless protectors. Before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly Seraphon hero that's not a monster, or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or mortal wound that would be allocated to a friendly Seraphon hero that is not a monster. If this unit is within three inches of that friendly Seraphon hero, you can roll a dice on a one or a two, wound goes through, on a three up, the wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit instead. If you take a unit of these guys and attach it to like Croak, he's almost unkillable. It's very difficult. It yeah. would be very, very difficult to kill him. Almost impossible. Yeah, yeah that's insane. We have seen this mechanic of bodyguard. This is just a continuation of mm -hmm. Almost every book has some some form kind of, this. of bodyguard. Yep. Yeah, which is fine. Any um, Seraphon hero, right? It's not just Slun. Well, I mean, yeah, any Seraphon hero that's not a monster, right? You, know, you yep. can't be diving in front of bullets for the Carnage. Right. Oh, sure. What we saw in the two handbooks last year is basically Galatian veterans found a way into the Galatian champions book. Mm -hmm. If Galatian champions find their way into the Andorian wizards or leaders or mm -hmm. locusts, whatever the yeah. keyword is for that. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that to be carried over in some way. Makes sense. That's it for yeah. the guard. Why don't you talk about the Amazing Warriors? Saurus Warriors are excellent. Five-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, two wounds. Got to pick between the spear and the club. Big units, you're definitely taking the spear. Mm -hmm. Two-inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, run one, damage one. Mm-hmm. Club, one-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, run one, damage one. And they are a Celestite again, which is important. Yes. Yep. So you can get those up to Ren 2 if you're playing Coalesced. Yep. If you're Coalesced, you are also reducing incoming damage by one. Two minimum of one. Unit <laughs> champion, plus one attack. Standard yeah. bearer, plus one bravery. Musician, <laughs> plus one to run and charge. And there's still bravery nine then. Wow. Yes. They have ordered cohorts. Add one to save rolls for attacks that target this unit if it's contesting any objectives or if it's wholly within <laughs> your territory. Gross. Uh, and then Saurus Jaws good. are the same, right? So for 200 points, yep. you're getting 20 wounds on a 4-up save base with a 3-up basically everywhere where you want them to be, mm -hmm. right? You can stack Mystic Shield on top of that. You can stack all defense on top of that. You can pair that with a Scar Veteran on foot who can make them plus one to hit and plus one to wound. Mm -hmm. You can pair that with a Skink Star Priest who can make sixes yep. to wound mortal wounds in addition. Saurus Warriors are... A block of 30 take up a huge amount of space. They're on 32s. Mm -hmm. 
You can get everyone in range with your spears. You're not going to get all your bites in range, obviously, because it's, you know, models that are within range one inch of enemy. Right. You know, so it's really just going to be your front rank, which is fine. But you can sit there, do your telepathic summons or, you know, whatever the resonance return to sender ability <laughs> to drop that unit into combat with something somewhere where they don't want to be. Just mulch. There are 30 models that are on an objective. Thankfully, this army doesn't have any rally shenanigans. Mm-mm. Otherwise, you would be taking a ton of these warriors and then pairing them with whatever the hideous, most damage-dealing thing is, a nuclear scar veteran on Carnosaur and just sending mm-hmm. that around the board and telling yeah. people good luck. You can pair that with something like a Skink Oracle, which is going to hand out a minus one to hit bubble around them. Let's just say for a second we're not playing Coalesced. You have the ability to reduce the rend of what's incoming. It's not nothing. This is a very difficult thing to work around as an opponent. And as a Seraphon player, having something like that that you can lean on is great. Okay. Skinks. Yeah. Talk to us about skinks. Yeah, so less interested in skinks than I am. Saurus Warriors, they're 8-inch move, 6-up save, bravery 5, 1 wounds. They are one of your battle line choices, 85 points for 10. Yeah. Pretty good value in terms of having something cheap. Mm-hmm. you got to pick between a couple of different options. You can either have a Javelin, Celestite Dagger, and Star Buckler, Spitter, Dagger, Buckler, Moonstone Club, and Buckler, or Bolt Splitter and Moonstone Club. The Javelin, 8-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 5s, run 1, damage 1. The Bolt Spitter, 6-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 5s, no rend, damage 1. Dagger, 1-inch range, 1 attacks, 5 by 5s, no rend, damage 1. The Moonstone Club, 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend, damage 1. If you have a Star Buckler, your save is a 5-up instead of a 6. I'd probably be taking that. Mm-hmm. Champion adds one to the attack's characters through that model's weapons, ranged and in combat. Swift and nimble, each time you receive the redeploy, you get to roll two dice instead of one and pick either result. Mm-hmm. So really good screens, really annoying redeploy piece, right? Yes. Especially if you're playing the skink one where you can redeploy up to three units and really screw up the way that the board looks. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you're taking many reinforced units of these. Their job in my mind is to be speed bumps and to be summoned back later and steal objectives and make your opponent really annoyed. I was going to say, yep. Now, the next thing we have is a spawn of Chotek. Now, these are basically the new salamanders. Yep. Is what they are. Okay. So, five-inch move, eight wounds, four-up save, five bravery. They have two choices for the fiery maw. You can either do the glob of flame acid or the stream of fire if you do the glob. 24 inches, one attack, four by twos, minus two, D6, or you can do the stream of fire, which the attack characteristic is equal to the number of models in the target unit to a maximum of 10, but it's two by threes minus two, one damage. And then of course, if you get too close, we have two attacks, both range one, both three attacks. The maw is three by threes minus two, three damage. That's very respectable. Then we have the goads, which is the four by fours, no rend and one damage. Fiery maw, each time this unit shoots, we talked about that, it needs to make a choice between the glob or the stream. The stream of fire, we talked about that. And then we have the glob of flame acid. If any wounds caused by attacks made with a glob of flame acid are allocated to an enemy unit, subtract one from save rolls that target that unit until the end of the turn. The same unit cannot be affected by this ability more than once per turn. That's a Uh, good rule, but it's a tough sell on a single shot that hits on mm-hmm. fours and wounds on twos. Like, yeah, you can sure. get it to threes and twos, but it's still one shot. And Dan, you've had a character with one shot, threes and twos, <laughs> rend two, damage, yeah. d6. How often does that particular attack 
do what you'd like it to do? Uh, close to never, but not quite. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Man, what do you think about this reimagining? Of these guys. Boy, salamanders have some sins to pay for, and it's showing yeah, up. Sure. For 125 points, I don't think it's too bad. Yeah. The stream of fire is interesting, because I think one of the things that you would look to do with it is maybe have that be one of your teleport units in a Starborn list, mm. and use that to either start clearing out a screen, or place it on an edge, where it's going to threaten your opponent in a way where, yeah, it's going to take a little bit. To get some of this done, mm-hmm. you either have to go over there and deal with it, or it's going to be there. Twenty-four inch range, right? With the gob of flame acid, mm-hmm. is fine. Yeah, you know, it lets you kind of play a little bit longer term until you can get up close and personal and and do what you have to do. It feels a little high in terms of points, but maybe there's just something I'm missing. Yeah, and we'll see how it plays on the board. I'm sure people will take them. Oh yeah, we'll hear all about. This is a really cool model. I mean, they're yeah. they're huge. Yeah, it's very cool. But it's eight wounds, so it yeah. should be a bigger. You want to take the Chargers or the Hunters when we come to Raptodons? I will take the Chargers. Okay. So, Raptodon, Hunters. This is new unit. Both of these are new units. 12-inch move, two wounds, five up save, five bravery. We have the Atlatl, which is the kind of shooting attack. 12-inch range, two attacks, four by fours, minus two, one damage. We have a club and fangs. The club has one-inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. And then the fangs of the the little tiny fangs, actually. It's so weird. This looks like a bird head. It doesn't look like lizard to me for some weird reason. Three attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. Here's mount. The champion adds one to the attack characteristics of that lottle. Standard bear, one in five. Add one to bravery, which is cool. They're only bravery five. So one in every five can be a horn blower. Add one to run a charge. Deadly cohesion. At the end of your charge phase, if this unit is more than three inches from all enemy units and within 12 inches of any friendly Raptodon chargers units that made a charge in that phase, this unit can shoot. If that unit does so, it must target a unit within three inches of a friendly Raptodon charges unit that made a charge move in that phase. Supporting fire, okay. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's cool. It's fine. When you look at how many points, right, these units are, so they're 150. For three? For five. Okay, 150 so, so, for five. You know, so 10 shots, 11 shots with the champion, and it's another 150 points for the chargers. So you're talking about a 300-point investment for 10 models to do this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So now we'll talk about the chargers. Yeah. 12-inch move, 5-up save, 5 bravery, 2 wounds. They have their lance, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, rend 1, damage 1. The serrated fangs, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage 1. Champion, plus 1 attack, stand bearer, plus 1 bravery. Musician, plus 1 to run and charge rolls. Cold-blooded unity, add one to hit rolls. For attacks made with this unit, T-Pock lances that target an enemy unit. That unit was targeted of a shooting attack by a friendly Raptodon Hunter's unit in the same turn. So that's cool, right? So you go to threes and twos yeah. for the two different combat profiles to hit. And then Geomanic Empowerment, the damage character of this unit's T-Pock lances two instead of one. If this unit's contesting objective, or it's in three into any terrain feature with the arcane scenery rule. So three attacks, that would be threes and threes, rend one, damage two. Like That's fine. So 16 attacks like that, like, you know, that's good, right? You mm-hmm. know, and then you've got 15 attacks at twos and threes, ran one, damage one. Like, like that's good. That could do some damage, sure. But that's 300 points that you have between to have. Between those two. You know, between those two units, it's two units, right? So when you're talking about slotting in your different battalions and things like that, that's two slots mm-hmm. that you have to account for if you're trying to work your way into uh, a one drop. 
I think one of the benefits here is they have the skink keyword, right? So they are a unit that you can use the multiple redeploys on to mm -hmm. get these things into the right place. They're very fast, so you can strike at the places where you need to hit. You can pin something down with the troglodon and then work around it with these. But with the five up save, if anything gets their hands on them, they're done. You're talking about 10 wounds, mm -hmm. but for 150 points, not a bad investment. I'm real on the fence with these. I don't think they do enough in terms of damage output, mm. but I think their speed is the thing that would really make them useful to a lot of players where you can get them where they need to go. Not unlike the Pterodons, right, that are move 16. Yeah. Yeah. There is value in that movement characteristic because... Sure. Good luck getting your hands on a Pterodon. And mm -hmm. something similar can be said here, especially if you're getting a bunch of free redeploys. Fair. So let's talk about these silly little units, the Hunters units. Yeah, the Hunters of Wanchi and the Terra Wings. These are part of uh, Warcry Warbands. So <laughs> the Hunters of Wanchi have two different War Scrolls, so they have two different builds. The first one yep. is with Dart Pipes. Yep. Eight inch move, six up save, bravery five, one wound. They have their Dart Pipe, which is 16 inch range, two attacks, threes and threes, no rend damage, one. And they have their feeble claws, one inch range, one attacks, five by fives, no rend damage, one. Yeah, Champion, yeah. plus one attack on the dart pipe. Musician, plus one to run in charge rolls. You shouldn't be charging with them. So it's 11 attacks, essentially. Yeah. So you have Chameleon Ambush. This is true for both of them. During deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it's hiding as a reserve unit. If you do so at the end of your movement phase, you can set this up on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. Yep. Cool. If this unit's on the battlefield at the end of your movement phase, you can remove it from the battlefield and say that it's hiding as a reserve unit. If you do so at the end of any of your subsequent movement phases, you can set it up again on the yeah. battlefield field more than nine inches from all enemy units any reserve units in hiding that are not set up on the battlefield before the start of the fourth battle round are destroyed sure everything's got to be on the field at the end of battle round three otherwise mm -hmm. they're dead even yeah. if you pulled them off once yeah now this next rule is pretty cool actually yeah both of these units have perfect mimicry this unit is not visible to enemy units that are more than 12 inches away or while it is in cover <laughs> That's so good. So even if you're in combat with this unit, it's, you are not visible to them. You can still fight them, but yes. you are not visible, Yep. which is pretty weird. Yeah, but it, me, it makes it really, really hard to shoot at them. Yes. Very difficult. Only, basically impossible. And especially since their range is 16 inches, and this, if you're more than 12 inches away, they're outside of that visibility circle. So, And then the final one is... Cool. Yeah, so the Star Venom, in the, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the Dart Pipe is a 6, it's a mortal wound, and the attack sequence ends. Cool. Right, so, you know, it's a very interesting unit because you're paying 135 points for them. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay 90 for the ones with the bolas, which Just is crazy. Really. Yeah. But, like, this is a great unit that you can use as kind of an ongoing threat piece, especially in a coalesced army, where you can use that 9-inch deployment threat later as something that you normally don't have access to. Mm. The Starborn obviously have a version of this that is quite a bit better, right? Where mm -hmm. you can move something nine inches away all the time. Right. Well, not quite all the time, but you know, you, you I know what you're saying. saying. Yep. So I like these guys. I always liked the little blowpipe lizards in the original skinks, you know, the whatever iterations ago. Those were always cool units. The models were neat. They did fun things. So I like that they haven't changed the function very much. Sure. And the rules really kind of Reflect match what they do, yeah. So that's really nice. Then we have the guys with the bolas, uh, same profile, except they have a five up attack. Five up attack. They have a five up save. They have the bolas, which are in inch ranges or hunters javelins, and one attack both threes to hit both. 
threes to wound both. One has, the bullets have no rend, the javelin has one rend, and damage one for the bullets, damage two for the javelins. Okay, both eight inch range. Uh, they have a moonstone club, one inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. And then they have the hunter's javelin again, which is... We've talked about that. Add one to the attacks of the Moonstone Clubs if there's a champion. Musicians add one to run a charge. One in every five can be armed with a Hunter's Javelin, which is a little bit better. During deployment, same thing. Chameleon Ambush, Perfect Mimetry is the same thing. And then we have Starstone Bolas, and it's the same kind of a thing, but a little bit different here. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with bolas is a six, the unit is stunned until the end of the following combat phase. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by a unit that is stunned. So instead of doing mortal wounds, you can stun a unit if you roll a six. It's interesting. You're going to have between, you know, four and five attacks with that. Mm-hmm. depending on you know how you choose to kit it out so you're not guaranteed to roll any sixes there but if you do you know it, it's not bad right it's a 90 point screen i think if you're going to do something like the starstone bolo ones i think you are more likely to take the 10 skinks yes and you know string them out and cover a larger area i think the dart pipes are the one that you're going to see more just because yeah. they have a higher level of effectiveness throughout yeah. the battle that makes perfect sense and what about these terror wings terror wings are interesting 12 inch move six up save bravery five two wounds one inch range four attacks fours to hit fours to wound no rend they fly they have nerve shredding screeches <laughs> In the shooting phase... Okay, I'm not the only one. That makes yeah. me feel better now. Yeah, I've got, you know, we've got Saurus Jars over here. <laughs> it's Saurus Jars. In the shooting phase, you can pick <laughs> one enemy unit within 12 inches of this unit and roll 2d6. If the roll is higher than the unit's bravery characteristic, that unit cannot issue or receive commands until the end of the turn. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Right? Can't if you trigger neat. it right, can't unleash, can't all out defense, can't all out attack, can't, uh, mm-hmm. can't inspiring presence. Like, that is such an incredible bargain for three of them for 75 points. Yeah, oh yeah. Toss them out there, they're a screen, you trigger this ability, awesome. Turn off commands. Exactly. And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in the Slaves of Darkness book that you were paying way more than 75 points for. Mm -hmm. They also have symbiotic relationships, so during deployments, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, if you have a Hunters of Wanchi unit in reserve, you can place this unit to the side and say this hiding is a reserve unit. If you do so at the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit on the battlefield within three inches of a friendlier Hunters of Huanchi unit and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Which is great because, again, it's got a 12-inch range for that weird screech. Yeah. So, very cool. Set it up right. Cool. Roll some dice. Now, there's going to be some armies where it's not going to be particularly useful at all, but there's going to be some armies where this is great. Absolutely. All right. Now we're going to talk about big guys, right? Yep. Okay, Bastilladons. Laser turtles. Yeah. Five-inch move, 12 wounds, two-up save, six bravery. A solar engine. We have two weapon options. We have a solar engine or an arc of Sotex. So solar engine, 24-inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus three, three damage. And then we have meteoric javelins, which is eight inches, four attacks, four by fives, minus one, one. Then we have the arc of Sotek, which is three-inch range, 20 attacks, four by threes, no rend, one damage, and then the bludgeoning tail, two inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus one D3. Now, don't we have a monstrous rampage? Remember that we do. with this, yeah, yep. that enhances where, the tail. Where if you roll beneath the size of the unit, that unit takes a number of mortal wounds equal to the dice roll. So okay. anywhere between one and six. Very cool. And then we have Titus Snakes. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the Arc of Sotek, which is those 20 attacks, is a six, the unit suffers one mortal wound and the attack sequence ends. Okay. 
Yeah, 200 points for the version with the snakes, 265 for the solar engine. You don't table anymore, so it's just a fixed two up. Mm-hmm. It's fine. For 200 points? Yeah, so for losing, well, for 265 for the laser engine, 200 for the snakes, you know, losing the ability to, you know, fire multiple times, I think is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little spendy for what it is, but next up is the Pterodon Riders. Mm -hmm. Six-inch move, six-up save, bravery five, three wounds. Yep. They have their Sunstrike Javelin, 12-inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, run one, damage one, which is nice. The Bolas, six-inch range, four attacks, fours by fours, no run, damage one. And you have to choose between the Javelins and the Bolas, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. And then the Razor Sharp Jaws, I think you're taking the Javelins. Yeah. One-inch range, four attacks, fours by fours, no <laughs> run, damage one. Champion adds one to the attack characteristic of either the Javelin or the Bolas. Again, it's probably the Javelins. Deadly Cargo, same as the Pterodon Chief, attack yep. from high. Same as a Pterodon Chief. Yep. Once they drop their deadly cargo, <clears throat> their screens and chip damage, and that's or objective grabbers, and that that's really all they're going to be good for. But hey, man, sixty-three mortal wounds is a lot of mortal. Not wounds. bad. No. But I don't see a reason to take the Pterodon Riders necessarily without the Pterodon Chief, unless you're looking to have a really fast screen. But then I would hope that you maybe have the extra points because I think then that Ripperdactyls. Not the Ripperdactyls. Um, the... What's the Raptodons? Oh, okay. I think the Raptodons are probably something that you're going to be better served with. Okay. So the next thing is the Ripperdactyl Riders. Yep. So 12-inch move, three wounds, five up save, five bravery. War Spear is two attacks, two-inch range, four by fours, minus one, or minus one, no rend, one damage. And then Tearing Jaws, one-inch range, three attacks, four by threes, minus one, two damage. These are the guys with the Bloat Toad, so hooray, hooray. Uh, we talked about what the Bloat Toad does. Toad Rage, we talked about what that does. And then Swooping Dive is the same as it was essentially on the Chief. Yep. Yep. So this is one of the things that I think the Ripperdactyls have a longer shelf life in a particular mm -hmm. battle. Sure. Uh, they're not as fast. They're a tad more durable. But if you take multiple units, you can put multiple bloat toads out. And it doesn't have to be the toad that was paired with the unit that you brought. It's if that unit has a toad attached to it, you get your bonuses. So you can take two by three Ripperdactyls and a Ripperdactyl Chief, and you can have three units that are marked with toads and mm. keep this unit in a very effective place. And once per battle, you're going to get plus one attack on the jaws, which is going to be solid. All right. Right. Finish up with the other big guys, huh? Stegadon. Very similar to the Stegadon Chief. So 8-inch move down to 5, 4-up save, bravery 8, 14 wounds. Meteoric Javelins are the same. The Sunstreak Bow is the same. The Sunfire Throwers are the same. Massive Horns are the same. The Grinding Jaws are the same. And the Crushing Stomps are the same. Okay. You just lose the Meteoric War Spear. Armored Crest is the same. Skink War Party, you count as 10 for the purpose of contesting objectives instead of 5. Yep, awesome. Which is pretty good. Steadfast Majesty is the same. Unstoppable Stampede is the same so impact hits yep. basically you're just getting a non-hero version of what it is it's a lot like the uh, arachnorok spiders from the gloom spike gets books okay well then we talked about that right you had the arachnorok with the hero who did some things and then you had the arachnorok with a bunch of goblins on it yeah who counted for more they maybe had a couple of different attacks and that kind of thing but Ultimately, it's just a spider with dudes on it. And this okay. is just a Stegadon with dudes, dudes on it. <laughs> okay. And then we have Engine of the Gods. This cool, is yeah. a huge change from what it used to be. So we have 
8 move down to 5, 14 wounds, 4 up save, 8 bravery. The meteoric javelins, 8 inch range, 4 attacks, 4 by 5s, minus 1, 1. And massive horns, grinding jaws, crush, crushing stomps are the same as they are on the other big guys. Yep. We have armored crest, which is the same. And then we have cosmic engine. In your shooting phase, you can say that this unit will enter either harness or reserve the power of its cosmic engine. If you say that it will harness the power, pick one of the effects below and generate a power by rolling 2d6. If you say it will reserve the power, nothing happens, but you can roll one additional dice the next time this unit harvest harvests. Harnesses the power. That's like Saurus jars. Saurus silly. jars. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm just picturing what that will look like on a t-shirt. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We'll figure that out. Listeners, if any of you know somebody who could do that, a Saurus holding a jar, then you need to let us know because we'll get that done. All right. Anyway. <laughs> You can roll an additional dice when you harness. There is a designer's note. It says a unit can reserve the power of the cosmic engine multiple times before it next harnesses it. Which you really need to do for if you yeah. want to try and some get of some of these things. bigger ones. For example, if a unit reserves the power of its cosmic engine in two of your shooting phases consecutively, then the next time it harnesses, it can roll two additional dice for a total of 4d6. Okay, cool. We have, what, one, two, three, four different things that it can do. On a power score of two through six, nothing happens. On a score of seven or more, heal d3 wounds allocated to each friendly Seraphon unit holding within six. Okay. Bolts of Azure Energy on a power score of two through eight. This unit suffers one mortal wound. However, on a power score of nine or better, pick one enemy unit within 24 inches and visible to it and roll the number of dice equal to the power score. For each four up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. You have slowing time on a power score of two through 10. The unit suffers D3 mortals on power score of 11 or better until the end of the turn. The strike first effect applies to friendly Seraphon units wholly within six inches. On a power score of two through 12, this unit suffers three mortals. If you score a power of 13 or more, you can summon one unit of 10 Saurus warriors or one unit of 20 skinks to the battlefield. The summon unit must be set up wholly within six of this unit, more than nine from enemy units. What do you think about those four before we go any further? Um, this is huge change. Not great. It's change. a huge change. I don't think it's particularly very good. They're 300 points. That's a lot of points. It is a lot of points. I think you're most likely to be doing the Bolts of Azure Energy. The penalty for missing it is pretty low. The reward for hitting it is pretty high. Yep. Time slows. If you can set it up right, I think is pretty good. Mm. But you need, in my mind, at least 3d6, if not 4, mm-hmm. to make a meaningful crack at it. So the earliest you're really going to be able to think about that one is the third battle round. So you basically have mini high tide for a very small area oh, okay. of your stuff. But it also means that the units that you want to use it for have to be near the engine. Yeah. So like maybe there's a way to set it up. I'm having a hard time seeing it. I think the summoning is basically just out of the question. Sure. Right? I would much rather be doing a couple of mortal wounds throughout the game rather than saving up my points for... 10 Saurus Warriors, right? Another 200 points is good. 20 Skinks. But if you're playing Starborn, Mm -hmm. that's a couple of magic phases. Yeah. Yours and your opponent's. You know, getting to that 20-ish number for Saurus Warriors isn't hard to do. Getting to 
a 13 on 46 that's is... That's a lot, yeah. You, to lot reliably get it, you need 5d6, which means that you can't have used the engine for three turns. Right. Which... Doesn't seem very useful. That's a tough sell for me, we'll put okay. it that way. All right. And we have Steadfast Majesty, so you're enhancing Bravery of Skinks, and then Unstoppable Stampede for this unit, which is Impact Hits. Yep. Okay. So we have two... Realm Shaper Engines, so it's a faction terrain, mm -hmm. one for each of our major picks. So which one would you rather do? It's the same piece of terrain. Right, but, but it does the rules are different, different depending things. on Starborn yep. or Coalesced. I'll do Starborn so okay. that both are impassable, and the setup mechanic is the same for both of them. Yep. Wholly within your territory, more than three from objectives and terrain features. If you can't set up the terrain feature, you can remove a terrain feature and then set this up. Yeah, and then the regular roll-off. Do so you have power unleashed in your hero phase? If there are any friendly Seraphon wizards within three inches terrain feature, you can pick one other terrain feature on the battlefield. Roll a dice for each enemy within three inches of that terrain feature. Not bad. Add two to the roll if the terrain feature is within 18 inches of this terrain feature and subtract two from this roll if that terrain feature is more than 36 from this terrain feature. On a four up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Nice. So okay. if that terrain feature is within 18, it's on a two up. If it's between 18 and 36, it's on a four up. If it's 36 or greater, which I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, right. Like what that would be. Right, what um, would that look like, right? On a, you know, those are sixes, so... Right. It's, it's some chip damage. Like that's neat. That's good. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. So the one for the coalesced is add one to bite rolls made for coalesced Saurus and Croxagors using the mighty uh, Saurus jars. Saurus. I'm gonna Saurus jars. It. Saurus jars. I'm just gonna give up. Mm -hmm. Saurus jars or vice-like jars ability if they are wholly within 12 inches of this terrain feature. In addition, use the top row of the damage table for friendly coalesce models if they're wholly within 12 inches of this terrain feature, regardless of how many wounds the unit has suffered. That's great for the monster table. Yeah. Ones, like sure. Particularly your carnosaurs. It's also very good for right the stegodons. You know that's, mm -hmm. that's certainly true. Right. If you are coalesced and you are playing. Thunder Lizards, you get Battle Line Stags, which is good. Yeah. Or Codal's Claw, where you've got Battle Line Croxigors. Right. For, yeah. for some reason. Well, the nice thing about this model, speaking of that, is it doesn't matter which one of these you pick, you can use the same model for it. So yep. it's like, it's great. You know, a little economy there, but. Yeah, so just like we've talked about with a lot of the other books recently, where. The sub-factions really determine everything. I mean, mm. switching between Starborn and Coalesced, you get really fundamentally different armies. Like, you can play Starborn Saurus, but buffs aren't necessarily there for you, right? Mm -hmm. The majority of the buffs are there for Skinks, but if you go a Slan-led Starborn army, mm. you have better opportunities for your Saurus to have what they're looking for rather than it being Skink-based. You know, it's just, you're probably going to run Dracothian's tail, because obviously you're not going to mm. get very much from Fangs of Sotek. That's right. not really not going to do anything for you. Yep. In, in the same way that, like, your skinks don't get anything from Kotal's Claw or from Thunder Lizards. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing stopping you from bringing those units and, and having them help you out. Okay. Yeah, so let's go talk grand strategies and battle tactics. Yep. And we have one battalion to talk about. Yes. There are four grand strats. So the first one is Realm Shaper Guardians. When the battle ends, you complete this if you have a, a Realm Shaper engine of either type on the battlefield. There are no enemy units within 12 of it, and it was not affected by a successful Smash to Rubble Monstrous Rage. Pooh. Man, that... If... I know that that's your... You better be guarding that thing really well. Yeah. I'm just going to take your three points away at the end of the game. 
Yeah, just going to try and sneak things in, land a long charge, right? Just tag it at 12. Or if I can, if you put it in the wrong place and I can put something where I can teleport a monster close and just try and smash smash it, you're done. You're you're all finished with that one, yeah. What do you think about the next one? Repel corruption. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are no enemy units wholly within your territory, yikes. Good luck. Oh, man. Yeah. Good luck. If these are, let's see. We may get some good ones here. Continuous expansion. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are at least one friendly Saurus unit wholly within each large quarter of the battlefield. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Let's move on to number four. <laughs> Further the great plan when the battle ends... If you completed four or more battle tactics and they were from mm. the Seraphon battle tactics one, four is tough. Yep. Four is very tough. I think it's more doable in like a coalesced army. Sure. But, Brendan, this is one of those books that is the polar opposite of ones we have seen where like at least half, if not more. I mean, there's like an auto take. I prefer in the book this. Ones, yeah. yeah. Where you have to defer to the regular, whatever is on the list of the new GHB, you know? Yeah. I like when the grand strategies incentivize you to run a particular theme or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I really like when the grand strategies spell out a similar but different method to the one in like the book. Mm-hmm. I hate the ones that are like, a worse version of mm-hmm. something in the general's handbook. Yeah. Those are great. These but, are whew, yeah, these are tough. tough. They are. Yeah. And we'll talk about the GHB ones in the next episode when we yep. get the new handbook. With it being Wizards of Nine Wounds or Less, Seraphon are positioned very well to have a lot yes. of tactics in that handbook and grand strategies in that handbook that you know would be very be viable. Yep. Yeah. So for okay. the battle tactics though, I like these because Unlike the Soulblight book, these are battle tactics where if you're built a specific way, you have access to some of them. Yes. But to build into all of them, you end up with a list that is just kind of nonsense. Yes. It's just a soup list. Yep. So the first one is Stampede of Scales. Pick three different friendly Seraphim monsters. You complete this tactic. Each of those units runs in the following movement phase and finishes that run within six inches of at least one of the other units you picked and wholly within enemy territory. This is like, remember that one? Hold hands and run. Yeah, isn't that what it was? We had that kind of a thing where... if you did it with three monsters, you got an extra point. Everybody did that. Yep. (laughs) On turn one. (laughs) But this is something that requires you to bring three monsters. Yeah. It's an action that requires you to end it in your opponent's territory. It's very build-specific. Yeah. Yeah. Celestial Obliteration. Pick one enemy unit on the battlefield. You complete this tactic that unit is destroyed by this turn by a mortal wound caused by a spell or the abilities of an endless spell. (laughs) Doable, especially if you got Croak (laughs) or Slans, things things of that nature. That you're probably going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelming numbers. Pick one objective controlled by the enemy. You complete this tactic at the end of the turn. If you control that objective and all friendly units contesting it have the skink keyword. (gasps) See, that's tough, right? Yeah. It's doable if you're playing a list where you are skink heavy or it just so happened that you have something that has the skink keyword like a troglodon that counts as five and you just yeah. move it over. You there. walked it over there and you know your opponent only had a couple of models. Or if you use wasn't it the command ability was an artifact where you could turn off anybody who has a unit with one or two wounds, they don't contest. So you could get a unit on there that would do that, right? And then boom, you could get that tactic if yeah. If you use that particular... Yeah, if you have something that keeps you from... That turns it off, yeah. yeah and I think it was... We'll I can't remember what it quick. was. Sotex Gaze, that was what it was. It was yep. a Saurus 
Yep, so you got to be playing coalesce to do that. Yeah. And then you also have to have something in a coalesced army that has the skink keyword. Yeah. So. You could use your little buddies to do that, so those little drop-in guys, whatever. Mm. It's certainly doable, but uh, how about the next one? So, Dan, that one doesn't quite work, right? In order for Sotex Gaze to work, it's got to be on a Saurus character. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you have to be on, like, the other side of the objective... Oh, yeah. yeah. For your little buddies to come in, too. So it's, yeah, multiple layers. Yeah, that was makes that tougher. A little Much tough. tougher, yeah. Or you could just swarm it with a bunch <laughs> of skanks. <laughs> sure. Apex Predator, pick one enemy monster, dependent on your opponent's army build list. Mm-hmm. You complete this tactic at the end of this turn if that enemy unit was destroyed by an attack made with a friendly Seraphon monster. Okay. If you're built the right way? Yep. Sure. You probably are going to have a monster in a lot of these lists of some variety, but your opponent needs to have one. And not every army has one, so... Right. Then Cold-Blooded Resilience. Pick one friendly Saurus or Croxagore unit within three inches of an enemy unit. You complete this tactic at the end of this turn. If that unit was not destroyed, did not retreat, and was not removed from the battlefield. Love this one. <laughs> Hello. That yeah. is pretty easy with that brick of 30 or whatever you do. If it's, yeah, if it's or, already there, yeah, you're good. Go for it, yeah. Absolutely. Last one up is Pack Hunters. Pick one enemy unit within three inches of only one friendly Agridon unit. You complete this tactic if at the end of this turn... That unit is within three inches of two or more friendly Agridon units. That one's a little bit tougher because they want to be killing, but against the right target, I suppose it's doable. It also means that you have to have at least two units of Agridons in your yep. list to even consider completing yep. that. I don't think that the Celestial Obliteration isn't even necessarily easy, right? Because mm. if you are up against a magic heavy army or an army that has a ward save even if you have just a couple wounds left to do it's not hard for that opponent to roll the exact wrong dice that you don't want to see at exactly the right time mm-hmm. and then whoops. or you know if you're relying on a spell and you got somebody like corn and they have a couple of blood points no yep <laughs> No, no, no. Okay, so much for that tactic. Yep. I really like that there are some ones that are tougher here, and just like we talked about, it incentivizes you to build specific ways where you're going to say, I'm going to be likely eligible for this one, this one, and maybe this one sometimes. Sure. Cool. As you're building, you look at this and say, this is what I can rely on in addition to the... Hmm. normal you plan for it unlike with soul blight which was basically in some of these missions i didn't even have to crack open the general's handbook because Mm -hmm. i knew that i had five that i was going to be able to get pretty much automatically well all right thunderquake mandatory stegodon chief yeah two mandatory bastilodons or stegodons yep two optional keyword croxagore Optional Spawn of Sotek. Which means you love this one, yeah. Yeah, optional Engine of the Gods. And you get either Swift or Slayers. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So, Brendan, what do we got? I mean, just like we talked about on the front end, I think it's a very competitive book. You have a couple of different ways to build it. Unfortunately, I don't have the big blanket statement of, you know, there's no bad units in this book. I think that there are some more scrolls. Croxagore. Yeah, that, I was going to wait for you to say that. That are pretty rough. I don't think that they're unplayable, but I think you're making an inefficient decision in mm. taking them. I think you are probably better taking the Agridons in those places in terms of being damage dealers. But I guess if you don't have the points, then you don't have the points and you go with that. I think a lot of the monsters are probably a little overcosted, but I think that's maybe more of a side effect of Thunder Lizard coalesced existing as they do currently, and obviously being able to reduce the incoming damage by one on Saurus and Croxagore and monsters is in coalesced is really, really, really good. Sure. It cannot be understated how silly the mortal wound output can be from the Slans in the Starborn armies. In particular, right? Yeah. You can channel them through the skinks and the oracles in the Starborn list. You're looking to pin your opponent in, 
and then do a ton of damage and then clean up the board afterwards. That's a tall order for some things, for sure. Things like Sylvaneth really, really, really don't want to see a Croak Mortal Wound Bomb. No. They don't, you know. No, any type of Mortal Wound or Impact hits just scare the heck out of me. Yeah. When I know they're coming, yep. You've got, you know, characters that are going to be able to shut down your casting pretty reliably, and Mm -hmm. then you have casters that you're not going to be able to do very much against. And I've invested a lot of points in them. Exactly. That's very tough. The thing I am very excited about is there are a lot of units in here that you didn't necessarily see very much on the source side of things Mm -hmm. that I think you are absolutely going to see with quite a bit of play. There were definitely some folks who were running four Carnosaurs and doing well, but that was more high skill players kind of finding a weird niche army that Mm -hmm. was operating very well within the current meta of the time. I think a Cav-heavy Saurus list and coalesced is going to do quite well. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of damage, and you can get the right kind of screens for it and and do great. And I think, you know, the Starborn side where you can run some of the lighter, faster stuff and pin and win and do Mm -hmm. your mortal wounds and chip away here and just kind of play around with your opponents, I think Mm -hmm. that stuff is good as well. Okay. So if you're a Seraphon player, you should be pretty excited. Yeah, I think so. If you play against Seraphon a lot, like you should, you really need to look at some tech pieces, right? You know, what can you do to prevent the mortal wounds? What can you do to put your opponent in a place where they don't want to be, right? Take a look at the Incarnate, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially against your coalesced opponents, where you can bring it in, pin a bunch of their stuff in one place, ideally, and just kind of fight forever. Yep. Cool. Yep. Exactly. When I look at the Mortal Wound output, that's my first reaction as a <laughs> Seraphim player. I'm just like, okay, fine. This is another one of those shake my opponent's hand or, you know, do the best I can for an hour if it lasts that long. They still I mean, got to roll the dice. and They have with, to roll the dice. And with the new handbook, you're better suited to dealing with it with, with the primal dice and things like that right. than you ever were before. Right, because you can use those in dispelling and unbinding as well. I like the inclusion of a lot of these fringe units, I guess, that I'm familiar with from before. Mm. For me, as somebody who's more thematic of a player, I think it would just be cool if you're playing like a thousand point army to have a bunch of the little blowpipe guys come in and have some other fun things that, again, are on the outside. They're not really looking to win games per se, but I think you could have a lot of fun with them and how they function. I think that the magic piece of this army is just it's scary it's really good it's uh, especially good in starborn it's still very good in coalesced but it's better in starborn yeah yeah absolutely and, and that's where the emphasis is supposed yeah. to be so overall i same thing i'm happy for seraphon players i don't want to see you across the table from me but i'm happy for you uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we'll just see how it turns out you know how the meta adjusts especially with the new handbook coming out see how that enhances or inhibits this army as it's going to you know a lot of armies we'll find that out soon enough when we start getting battle reports and stuff but yeah overall good book i'm glad to see the changes that we did all good so let us move on speaking of moving forward to scriptorium we have a few new releases this time brendan so the first book we have is children of teclas which is lumineth guarding the tomb of nagash and 
we have Ideneth trying to do something with that. And the Lumineth don't like what the Ideneth are doing. So the Lumineth and the Ideneth are fighting. Okay, cool. I have to say that after the Gotrek book with the Ideneth, I absolutely despise Ideneth in terms of their soul-sucking function, you know, that kind of thing. They should not be order. They should be like destruction. Hard disagree, but okay. Okay. And then we have... Now the Lumineth, who I'll talk about my Finish My Cato book, uh, you know, my Hollow King book. Neither one of these factions have any nobility in terms of what I see nobility as. And so with those two factions being the main things in the book, I'm like, eh, okay, I'm going to pass. But Fair enough. if you are a Lumineth or an Ideneth player or you have interest, I think you would like this book. We have Martyr's Tomb, which is the sixth book in the Dawn of Fire series, if you are still interested in that. I kind of decided after book four I was going to move on to other things, but it sounds pretty interesting. Black Templars and Sisters fighting Nurgle, that sounds of interest. We have Lords of Blood, which is a Blood Angels omnibus, which of course, if you're a Children of Sanguinius fan, I'm sure you would like that. We have King of the Spoil, which is a new Warhammer crime book. And I've enjoyed the few of those that I've listened to. So I think I may give this one a try. And then we have, of course, Leviathan, which is the new book associated with the new edition. And so far, I've given it a listen. And it's been an interesting story. The new, there's a new reader his name is Theo Solomon and I'm always a little hesitant when I've got a brand new reader you know with a book like somebody who I've heard before Darius Hinks is the author and he's pretty reliable but Theo's doing a pretty good job and I've kind of enjoyed listening to him we'll finish that one up and see what we have for a review at the end but so far a lot of exposition and laying the groundwork kind of thing but very very interesting and as you can imagine it's Ultramarines versus Tyranids of course very cool how about your stuff I had started watching Breaking Bad years and years and years and years ago. And I stopped somewhere in season four. And so I decided recently that I was going to finish it. Uh, And I did. Okay. Basically, you know, just an episode here or there is just a kind of a wind down thing at the end of the day. So I finished that. Cool. And then I watched the El Camino movie, which is the, you know, basically the episode after season five ends. (laughs) Effectively what it is, where it follows Jesse Pinkman for, you know, some closure stuff. Okay. Yeah. Super fun. I'm going to start Better Call Saul, right? The other other part of it, because I had heard something that Breaking Bad was leaving Netflix in 2023 so oh. at the end of the year or something Get on like it that now. so yeah so yeah. finish it i'm not sure if that's right i didn't bother looking up i was just like i'll just watch it and just be <laughs> you know, won't have to worry about that so it's funny story about breaking bad so that came out when i was a chemistry teacher right in high school and i cannot tell you how many times after that show came out i was asked the question mr bears you know can you make fill in the blank whatever mm. it is right and it was like I just got tired of listening to it. And then at the end of the first season, when I saw what was happening, I was like, oh, crap. Because I liked it before mm. then. The character, you know, he had cancer. He was fighting that. and But just the super dark turn. Oh, my God. Like, and it gets so much darker. Oh, yeah, like, of course. I'm going, I don't know if this is what I want to watch. It was just really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Since I'm standing in front of, you know, classrooms full of kids. And they're like, oh, there's the chem teacher. Yeah. Like, oh. Whoa, whoa, guys, time out. Interesting stuff, but it was a good show, and I did enjoy the first season very much. Yeah, so one of the things that you've missed out on in the later seasons of it, mm. and you know, now that you're not teaching kids, maybe, yeah, maybe it's may want to give it a try. Right, the show starts out with 
a lot of really noble intentions. Oh, right? yeah, like absolutely. It's, it's a man who's in kind of a bad situation, and, mm-hmm. you know, he makes some really unethical decisions, but, oh, yeah. you know, it's the question of how do you weigh you know, that against your family, right? right? What are the things that you would be willing to do for... And you're asking the question, well, what would I do? I can't really judge this guy because I'm not living through the stuff he's living through. Right. Yeah. And as the seasons go on, you see that window shift oh. a little mm. bit. Mm. And every single decision doesn't seem extreme because of the small steps that you have taken until you get to the end and you look at how far you've come from where you were and you go, oh. You're not the same person who was making those decisions before and for the same reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they do a really great job with that character development. Oh, and, and Brian Cranston just did an exceptional job mm-hmm. with that role. I agree with you. All right. That's really what I've been watching. Not reading anything new. I've got a lot of the same podcasts, you know, just kind of <laughs> filling the air for me right now. Okay. Got that going. All right. I am continuing to read the monster book that is almost 800 pages, the Matthias Thulman trilogy. But I'm almost through the first book, which is Witch Hunter. So it's Witch Hunter, Witch Finder, Witch Killer. So his three books. And still just a great, comfortable read and really, really enjoyable. As a character, he's just a beast, man. This one necromancer tried to trap him in a house with a bunch of zombies, and Thulma just took care of business. Sure. Him and his buddy Strang, he's got like this weird sidekick, you know? And it's, it's just great stuff. Anyway, I finished Scars. I, you know, read it years and years ago, which it's always been, and it reminded me how much it's one of my favorite heresy books because of all the components that are in it. And... It made the scars one of my favorite chapters because of the Khan and uh, Yasugai, who's the chief librarian, as it were. Characters were just so compelling, and the story was so compelling. And as a legion, the white scars are so unique because when you think about a loyalist legion who fell, they're a loyalist legion who had that, I mean, a massive rebellion, you know, to go to the war master, and they came out the other side as loyalists. And that's very unusual for any other legion that did that. Most of them fell into chaos. So very cool. I finished Hollow King, and I think my last time I commented on it was kind of slow, and I was not sure if I was going to finish, so I pushed through. And all of a sudden, about halfway through, boom, the story ramped up. Cato ran into Lumineth, who, again, these Lumineth were just so evil, man. And Cato, of course, was trying to fight for people and stop the Lumineth. All of a sudden, Elise Cavalos shows up at the wall to the city. And you're going, oh, God, Bone Reapers. Bone Reapers! So it was so cool that this all got suddenly happening. And it just ended up being a really cool book. Cindy and I watched Extraction 2 on Netflix. Extraction was the first movie with Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. Really good action. The story was actually really compelling. And in this one, it was the same way. But it's nonstop action. And it's so cool because Chris Hemsworth is something other than Thor. You know, so he's got a lot of stuff going on. You see a little bit more of his acting abilities in it. But, you know, he's super eye candy for Cindy. You know, he's ripped sure. and everything. And it's all good. But a very good movie. And I would recommend it. The other thing that we've talked about already is the second Dune trailer came out. And November is way too far off, man. First, but the good news is, Brendan, I'm going to come home from RockCon after having a great weekend there, and then I get to go see Dune. Go watch Dune. Yeah, so that's really good news. So that's all that's going on with me. All right, man, let's move on. Five by five. Okay.
What do we got? Um, I'll have you start, Dan. Okay. So you are taking a competitive army okay. to your next event. It is a Seraphon army. Is it coalesced or is it Starborn? If I have a lot of time to prep, mm-hmm. it's Starborn. Okay. If this is a situation of you have to throw something together and you have to just kind of like hot shot your way in, mm. I'm going coalesced. I think it's a little more forgiving with my kind of play style. Okay. I think that's going to be. So if I have the ability to to do the appropriate prep work and do the refining, get the repetitions in to understand where things need to be, I think beating a Starborn list is going to be very difficult in the hands of a good player. Okay. And this leads me, what you just said, actually, to my next question. So do you think that OBR or corn would be better counters to the Seraphon. I think corn is the better inherent counter mm. because OBR you have to sacrifice by going into a specific subfaction. Mm. Where corn, if your opponent is going to take the offensive stance of trying to deal mortal wounds, they do that at their own peril. Especially if you're going to, as a corn player, bring the skulls yeah. right for right. for some real mortal wound shenanigans. I think that is potentially a tall order if you're going to be. You know, like if you have croak and you're picking three ints to do D three mortal wounds to, on average, they're gonna get a blood tithe points mm-hmm. from every time that you do that. Yes, those are free murder lust points. Those are just in general like free blood tithe where you can, if you are doing enough to that corn player, they're going to start being able to do it on a four. So now fifty percent of the time. <laughs> okay, how often are you gonna keep casting those spells where you're gonna be doing damage? Yeah, but. That's not super meaningful if you're playing against a coalesced army where the offensive casting isn't as important as the buff casting or the defensive casting. Sure. Okay. So you think corn probably a little better. Probably the better one. All right. Who do you dislike more? (laughs) (laughs) Not like. Who do you dislike more, Lumineth or Ideneth? In game, Lumineth. Lore wise, story wise, what do you think? Background purpose. I think I dislike Ideneth more from a lore perspective. Okay. Where you really think that they're both kind of ignoble groups. Mm-hmm. You know, they certainly operate in terms of what they believe nobility to be. You know, no yeah. different than Flesh Eater Courts, right? Oh, you know, sure. They, Absolutely. You know, they're operating within a framework that is obviously an, an inherently delusional delusional but you know within their culture and their society that mm. is what is quote unquote right it is quite a bit more difficult to justify like why the lumineth permit the Ideneth to continue existing mm-hmm. that to me seems very strange where games workshop has talked about why things fall into the different categories and agreed that Ideneth are on the border of probably not being order i think if anything they should be chaos Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they don't worship a chaos god so they really don't slot into into that category okay kind of like witch elves right the daughters of cain they are more chaos than they are order Mm -hmm. but they are civilization builders oh yeah so they have a society but so do (laughs) goblins right yeah um yeah like the forgotten and lost experiment that is the Ideneth mm-hmm. feels just kind of weird. Okay. I would almost prefer them to be more noble and like, mm-hmm. you know, them be some real subset of elves where they believe that mm-hmm. protecting themselves from the hordes of Slanesh is best kept here under the ocean. I think that would be more interesting. 
Next question is red or white wine for dinner tonight with a friend? So if it's a nice steak dinner, you're going with a red, but it's beautiful out up here in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're dining, you know, al fresco and, you know, having a bit of a lighter plate, probably a white. Okay. This next question is obviously very hypothetical, but if Giannis decides to leave the Bucks, okay, do you think he will go to the east or will he go to the west? Oh, goodness. Because I think so many of the players he would play with are going to retire sooner than later. Okay. And I think a lot of those players are out west. Okay. He has some level of interest in playing with someone like Steph Curry, but mm. Steph Curry's like 34, yeah, he's getting 35. Up there. He's like, getting it, up there. It's crazy. The LeBron's, you know, nearly 40. Right. Maybe he is 40. But so like, you think he'd still head out west? I think he would. Okay. I also think he'd be more likely to follow a coach. Sure. Um, that makes so sense. So, like, we'll see what this new coaching staff is like. Yeah. If Bud is coaching somewhere and he really liked playing for Bud. And I think he did. I, th- I, think, I think he, he did and too. Coach Bud were very close. Yeah. I think he would, you know, follow him out to Interesting. Where, wherever Bud is. And, and this leads me to my next theory. And I was really going to save this oh. for my episode with Tyler. God. But here I we think, go. I think Bud is going to sit out coaching for the year. He, you know, he just lost his brother. Yes, that, um, that was tough. But I think what's going to happen is he's going to end up on the Spurs staff with Pop, mm. which is where he came from. Really, that's interesting. So he used to be Pop's head assistant. He was the guy who basically invented the offense. So he'll head least. down to Texas. You so think? I think he'll go down to San Antonio mm-hmm. and be in a place where he's very familiar with the culture. He's very familiar with the way that the things run. And it'll be a place for him to kind of ramp back up to wherever he okay. wants to go. I think Fair. at some point, Pop is going to have to retire, right? Like yeah. the, at some point, we all know that he loves doing this, but at some point you got to go, look, I'm exhausted. Like this is, I think... Bud takes over. I think the organization gets handed off to Bud with mm. a developed Victor Wembanyama, and then Giannis comes over. And I could not imagine how devastating that offense and defense would be. I'll basically start with the same question that you started with: Starborn or coalesced? Yeah, I really like the Saurus side of things, mm. so I kind of think. I would go with Coalesce. I'm not really into monster builds with these guys. I, and I say this, you know, my Sylvaneth armies are like it's a all lot of monsters, monsters, yeah. But it's different. I just feel very different about them. So I would like to do something silly with Saurus mm-hmm. and, you know, get Saurus on Carnosaurs because that was one of my two, again, this is Dan not thinking competitively and just one of my two favorite models that I had painted was a a vet on a carnosaur mm-hmm. and it just sat on the shelf forever and then i had a astrolith bearer too that i kept forever fun models yeah but i think i would go with coalesced okay the new general's handbook is going to be wizards so third edition has had handbooks that have focused on monsters battle line small heroes and now small wizards mm. which of those four has kind of been and obviously we don't really know much about the Wizards, so the Wizards part of it is maybe more predictive. Which of those four do you think is a better design mechanic for Games Workshop to have built around? See, now, I see this as more of a mechanic, like a magic thing, mm-hmm. and a focus on magic than a focus on small heroes. That's the way I look at it. Well, it's small wizards. Right, but I'm just saying, you know, that's more how I see it. I think that... I know a lot of people are going to go, oh my God. I think that the monster mechanic was a good one because a lot of people had monsters. Almost every Almost. army has monsters, you know, so that 
except for night hunt and <laughs> right yeah, so, well, no you don't anymore you used to right. have yeah. one yeah but that's kind of how i think about it so when i look at you know the other things they focused on stuff that didn't benefit like more across the board in terms of army that's the way i look at it okay i kind of liked that particular thing like when you had what was it bounty hunters that was just ridiculous that's terrible that was just horrible right and even when you had galatian champions the fact that small heroes which are key part of many many armies were almost untouchable it felt wrong it felt like you couldn't do something you know you felt like you weren't participating and i hate that kind of a feeling in a game where you couldn't do anything about that sure so anyway that's how i felt about it fair enough See, the monster mechanic you think I, I thought was good yeah i like okay. that with the harbingers books mm-hmm. i imagine every faction is going to get some rules and or some models mm-hmm. you know no different than the way that it kind of worked last time sure so obviously you're playing sylvaneth now yeah what is your hope for a unit or hero or slight rules tweak from these uh, Dawnbringer Crusades. For Sylvaneth? For Sylvaneth. Well, see, here's the trick with them that I was thinking about this, is if there is a box like that, I can't take them with my army, right? Because you can't take them if they're the same. The regiments of renown you can't right, take. Right, that's I'm, right. But you, Talking about rules rule, tweaks. Rules, units, heroes. You okay, know, the... so one of the first things I think that's really important for Sylvaneth is to give them an ability to have more army-wide buffs. And you're saying, oh, they don't. No, they really don't. When you think about it, how many ways do they have to increase, you know, plus one attack or plus one to wound or plus one to save? It's very limited in what they can do with that army-wide. Okay. And there are a lot of armies now that just, boom, it's out there. You know, they have that kind of a thing. The fact that they have no ward save except for very, very... You have to take a very specific season to get a ward save. But even then, you have to be within distance of something. And you can't have charged. Right, you can't have charged. So that, again, is very limited ward save. Lady of Vines, really? Okay. But again, that's very limited. So I want to see something with that. Faction-specific heroic actions, I would love to see that for Sylvaneth. I think that would be very useful. So typically when the general handbook comes out, we get a battle scroll with FAQ changes for some different rules and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. What is a rule that These you These open-ended are, questions. Just I know. So great. I'm, I, my last one is truly this or that. Okay. Uh, no, look. What is a rule change that you're really hoping to see come through? In general? Yeah, just any army, core rules, anything. My big ask, basically, from the Soulblight book has been do something about zombies. Do anything. <laughs> You know, you can't have it be unlimited range. Please do anything. Let's assume that I get something that I wanted with Sylvaneth. I would love to see some kind of a way to give armies more of an ability to get a ward save that's more army-wide. I don't know so what like it is. like a command ability? Yeah, something like that. Okay. That you could just say, yeah, this unit has a 5-0 ward save for this turn. Oh my god. But it's limited. You can only do it once for one unit, right? That would be crazy. But Brendan, there are armies that can do that or have that already. But they pay for it in their points. Sure. If this becomes a, we'll call it a core mechanic... Yeah. Right? Where it's an all-out defense, right? Even if this was a once-per-battle command, right? Only your general can issue it. Only your general... Like, let's put some insane criteria to it. Sure. You have to spend your heroic action to be able to spend it once-per-battle, and you can pick one unit to have a five-up ward 
in one combat or shooting phase, yeah. and if you can kill the general, then he can't even do it, right? Even if you place those extreme criteria on this, yeah. imagine giving that five-up ward to an army where any ward save, Sylvaneth, would be backbreaking, mm-hmm. right? Imagine putting that five-up ward on a unit of nine Kurnoths. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Anyway, I, that would be my thing. All right, Please. my last question. It's, this... always, it's always good when we disagree. because yeah. um... Boxes or totes? That's a great question. Uh, boxes, for sure. Boxes, yeah, okay. Yeah, like boxes, whether they're plastic or whatever they are. Okay. Yeah, totes just are like, yeah. You don't man. like totes. All no, right. not too much. So that's I, it. All right, man. That's it. That's it. Let us move on to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements at all? Gosh, it's been such a long time since we've done one of these. On. <laughs> so I'll go to my Q&A while you're looking it up. Okay, good, because good, so, I didn't have one. So. Yeah, so Terry asked me an interesting question. It was related to some of the comments we made about, you know, on the ship I was on having a gas turbine engines, okay. which were essentially jet engines. And Terry was like, did they really put a jet engine inside of this ship? And my answer to him is, Absolutely. What they literally did was they took a DC-10 engine off of an airliner and they stuck it inside of a box, connected it to all kinds of stuff, and they called it an LM-2500. And it literally is a jet engine inside of a box. And on the Spruance class that I was on, there were four of these things. And when you look at the control panel for just one of them, it would just make your eyes pop. There's so many buttons and dials and things to move. But it's amazing that they could repurpose something like that to move a warship through the water. I think that's one of my favorite things about the Abrams program is Mm. that they put... (laughs) At first, until they figured out that's not going to work. Your main battle tank (laughs) is powered by... Effectively, a gas a, turbine, you know, a jet engine. A jet engine. <laughs> like, it's pretty nuts. Yeah, the, not just that, but one that can consume basically any kind of fuel. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. so just listeners for reference, the army changed that when they realized the issues they were going to have in the field were, with the gas there turbine. There were going to be some problems. Yes. Yeah, so, but yeah, the initial it was really kind of like you said, pretty neat. Dream big, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, go nuts. So what do we got? So we do have some Sunday announcements for 40K. The Lion, the Boss Nickrot, and Commander Farsight are going to be available individually. Oh, nice. Some Middle-Earth strategy battle games, models, some dwarves, it looks like, and then books. Books, books, books. Books, okay. books, 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 books. Cool. And I don't think that there's anything that, like, we're super interested in. They all look 40K to me. Okay. Cool, yeah. So with that... Episode 125, we are going to be talking about the new GHB with our friend Tyler Emerson. We will. Awesomeness. I'm sure he's thrilled to have this reduced to a once per year. (laughs) Oh, he made that very clear last time, let me tell you. Excited to have him back and to be able to talk to him. And uh, yeah, it should be a fun show. Will be. I think so. A lot of good stuff going on here. With that, my friend, I think that is it. Thank you, as always. For being here, listeners, for being with us and joining us on this crazy journey. And as always, you take care, stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. Bye! This is the